0: Hey, Prime members. You can listen to The Dunker Spot ad-free on Amazon Music. Download
1: the app today. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com.
2: Hi, hello, and welcome to another episode of The Dunker Spot. We are part of the Basketball News Podcast Network. I am your host, Nikias Duncan, and joining me as always is my co-host, Steve Jones Jr. Steve, how are you doing, sir? Ah, feeling good,
0: feeling great. Happy to be here. Excited to be here. Thank you, Dunkers, for once again, embracing your bounce. Uh, Dunker Nation, let's ride, et cetera, et cetera. Happy to be here with you, Nikias. Uh, Two years of doing this pod with you. Been a fun and grateful experience. Thanks for putting up with me and my antics. Thank you, Dunkers, for your support. Truly one of a kind. Really appreciate it. Uh, it's kind of wild we've been doing it for this long, but it's been great. Very excited uh, that Nikias has joined us from his suite. Oh, here we in, go in uh, Undetermined City. I don't want to do that to you, but <laughs> doing some big time things
2: on the West Coast. Let me talk to you. Uh, how you doing, man? Well, I am doing okay. I was uh, the the heart was starting to warm with the intro and then you got into the uh, the non-existent sweet antics. And I was like, well, we are uh, back to square one. I feel you. But no, um, Wednesday was the two year anniversary of the podcast. It's funny because, as you said, like, you know, we've been doing it for this long. I was like, you know, that could be in terms of like the two year thing or just the episodes in general considering how deep we dive <laughs> with some of these. But no, it has been a surreal experience. We've gotten so much support over the last two years. The community has really grown, um, both just in terms of listenership. Now with what we're doing with the watch parties, we've gotten some wild opportunities from what we've done with the pod and the watch parties. And it, it's kind of wild to sit back like, wow, this is something that we have built by talking about a sport that we love. And talking about a league, or at this point, leagues that we love uh, with the NBA and the W, which on that point, man, I'm, this offseason is going to be something else. I'm excited to see what pops off in the next two or three weeks. But thank you to everyone for listening to Echo Steve's sentiments. We could not do what we do without y'all, at least not to this level. Really appreciate the support. And I am excited to keep this thing rolling and see what comes from there. Um, on the W front, though, we start with a report from Christina Williams of Girls Talk Sports. Um, reported earlier in the W season last year that Alicia Gray was going to be safe during that trade deadline, but was likely to be moving onward um, from Dallas Wings over the offseason. We got a report from Christina last night, well, Wednesday night, that trade seems likely um, she will most likely be traded from the Dallas Wings. She listed the Connecticut Sun, who are just in the finals against the Aces, the Chicago Sky, the Washington Mystics and the Atlanta Dream as four possible destinations. See how. I guess how, where did you go with a report like this? Or are you surprised at all that this deal seems to be as firm as it is?
0: No, I was surprised it reemerged because I remember I was like, wait, I thought I thought this happened last year. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then I saw the tweet. I was like, yeah, that was during last season. So I I totally get it. Uh, The interesting part is probably the timing as everything starts to unlock slowly but surely. And it's intriguing to me where a talent like Alicia Gray could land. But it's also intriguing because it's like, well, what team, what are these teams going to be here shortly? Mm -hmm. So you list the sun and it's like, ah, yeah, that would be great. Except "Ah, that's not going to be the same sun.
2: (laughs) (laughs) New coach, Brianna Jones, a free agent.
0: Yeah, that would totally make sense, lift them up, but it's not going to be the same team. The sky, who knows what they're going to look like. So it's like, mm, that's not necessarily the automatic yes that I probably would have done. Um, you know, for me, I'd probably say the Washington Mystics. by almost default, but with that core, with her talent on both ends of
2: the floor, uh, it's a pretty good fit. Uh, that's, where, that's where my eyes went as well. It was like, to your point, with Chicago, one, we don't know 100% right now if Candace Parker is playing next season. It, lo- it looks like it's leaning that way. And so if we do get the confirmation or firmer confirmation, then it goes to, well, will she be back, be back with the sky? Will she look at Los Angeles with new ownership and a whole lot of cap space, nearly a million dollars worth of cap space? Does that make sense for Candace? We'll see, but don't know what's going on with Candace Parker. Don't know what's going on with Emma Mieseman. Not sure what's happening with Courtney Vandersloot or Alec quickly. Chicago can look very different. My eyes go to Washington because she, she fits like a glove. Like that was already the best defense. In the W last season. Um, Natasha Cloud and Ariel Atkins both making an all-defensive team. Uh, rookie center Shakira Austin played well enough to put herself in the conversation, didn't end up making the all-defensive team. But you have those three as a foundation. You slide Alicia Gray in there, who's also one of the best wing defenders in the W. That's just nasty. And one the shortcoming for Washington overall was just the lack of spacing. They have talent. Natasha Cloud, very good driver, very good passer. Ariel Atkins, a good shooter can also get busy against tilted defenses. Elena Deladon, not much to say there, but trying to figure out the four spaces in the half court was an issue. Alicia gray would do a good bit to help solve some of that. And so like, that feels like the most natural spot to me, especially just looking at, if you want to look at like the cap sheets and see who's available to be moved and trying to match salary in that way. Like I think Washington probably has the cleanest Avenue there. Um, How would you feel about the Liberty getting into the hunt?
0: Uh, I would get it uh, theoretically, but I think they just right now have a lot of folks. So I don't know if it would pop the most, if that makes sense.
2: I got you. I got that was a team I listed. I wrote like a newser on the Alicia Gray thing. That was the team I was like, huh, I wonder if they get in because they could definitely use the perimeter defense like you felt the perimeter defense and what it was when Laney was out and you saw how it picked up when she got back in. And so like, what does it look like with having Laney and Alicia, Gray, Alicia Gray on the wing with Sabrina? That intrigues me, but we also saw what Sabrina looked like when she had like another actual point guard alongside her and getting her off ball and what they kind of did for her usage and how that made the offense more dangerous. So trying to balance out how to make that work. I was just curious to see what your thoughts were there, but uh, we will, Okay. Hey, my, my thoughts are in one spot and one spot only. Ah, I see. Get uh, get Rihanna Stewart to the Big Apple, huh? Yep. That's the one. Okay. Well, <laughs> that is going to be the biggest domino if or when it falls. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, last note on the W front. Uh, We heard it was going to happen. The WNBA, as of today, recording on a Thursday afternoon, they did officially announce that Las Vegas will be the host city for All-Star Weekend. Uh, we will have the three-point shootout and a skills competition on July the 14th that Friday. And the All-Star game in Vegas on the 15th that Saturday. So that is sealed and delivered. I will reserve further comment until I see what the uh what the summary schedule is.
0: Oh, here you go. I think this yeah. is great. One, I, salute to Vegas, uh, basketball city through and through. Two, they're announcing all of this. Much well, yeah. sooner than they that's did the, last yeah, that's, year. That's the
2: big one. Yeah.
0: So there's some planning going into this. Uh, I do think it'll be interesting what the integration with Summer League looks like. But if it's going to be at the tail end of the event, I was just looking at the dates from last year. They went from the 7th to the 17th. It's going to be towards that tail end. You've got the standalone nature. You've got Vegas. You can still get some tie-in. Uh, but you kind of make it in an event. Announcing a, a, a fan fest. Is a big move considering the noise
2: from last year. Yeah, it has to be better than what it was in Chicago. And I think there.
0: in Vegas around the ceremony time, you know, you can get the things you need to support and elevate the event. You know, you can get the spots you need <clears throat> moving the three point and the skills to Friday and then letting the game elevate on Saturday. I think that's a plus in a way, as opposed to just trying to cram it all in. So baby steps, baby steps.
2: So I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I've, I, I've re- I've talked about and wrote about my thoughts on just the general idea of moving it there and having the overlap with summer league. But again, if the, if the planning is what it is and they have found that balance, then I I'm here for it. Like I'm going to be in Vegas either way. So not going to be a big shift for me, but in terms of maximizing it, I just hope that they were able to find that balance. That's the only thing I'm really concerned about. And that's why I'm kind of seeing like, okay, what, what are the summer league dates this year? And how are we playing around that? And how is that going to work? I just want everything to be maximized on the W side. That's all. Um, to the NBA side, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, uh, sprained his left elbow, also suffered a left knee bruise, um, during a Pacers loss last night. He's going to be reevaluated in two weeks. Um, Dwayne Dedman during Heat Thunder, which was a uh, national television game for the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, about time. Uh, we had a, Sarah, a massage gun incident, somehow where it landed on the court after a disagreement on the sideline between staff and Deadman. I'm not sure what was said to warrant whatever all of that was. Uh, can't say that I've seen that before.
0: He, I thought he was a dead man walking for a second. <laughs> God, uh, I didn't. They did look too good when the camera panned back the spo after that happened. I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> this man might want to shower a little quicker than it may appear. Yes, I'm being respectfully messy. Oh, did he not know the scouting report? Did he not see the, the spo all like, With,
3: yeah,
0: yeah, let him coach? Like, <laughs> like I saw them exchange words, and then more people were exchanging words, and then this man left. And I think the, the massage gun on the court was an accident. But yeah. if you are going to storm off the court and display your anger and you're going to hit something, <laughs> you need to look and see <laughs> if there's anything on that. It's okay to just go with a really loud clap or just like a clincher fits and yell, something like that. But if you're going to hit a chair, make sure nothing's in the chair. <laughs> make sure nothing's in there that could fly on the court. I didn't know what was happening. We watching yeah. that game. I was like, well, "Who threw? Who threw something?" And I was like, yeah, "That doesn't look somebody. like something you would throw." <laughs> and then they panned a bow and they said it was a technical foul. And I was like, "Oh, oh, this man was upset." So yeah, yeah. Plus, also, you can't get that mad if you're not producing. I'm just gonna throw that out there. Just a life tip.
2: One yes, two yes. Three, you especially can't do that when you're like one of the eight players available (laughs) in the game. So like, even if you haven't been uh, competing or producing, like, this is an opportunity. Like, well, shoot, I can I can play through some mistakes tonight. Who else you gonna go to? And sure enough, like, we got some Orlando. We got some big Lando minutes. uh, Orlando Robinson. Uh, He ended up getting in foul trouble. He had to play a lot of Jamal Cain at the five in that game. Dwayne Devon had an opportunity if he had not. Smack the chair, I guess. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. Keep, keep an eye on those game minutes next, next game.
2: Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of that's kind of tough. I, I. The brow was raised. Anyway, last thing on the NBA front before we get into our uh, theme of the episode. Second round of All-Star voting is here. Um, not much change um, in the East. Still Kyrie Irving and Donovan Mitchell leading the guard votes. We do have a little bit of a shift in the front court. Kevin Durant remains. Giannis Antetokounmpo remains. Jason Tatum has overtaken Joel Embiid by a little over 32,000 votes. That is not a lot. So I am intrigued on that front. No change in the West, uh, though um, Zion Williamson and Anthony Davis fighting for that last front court spot. Uh, Zion has closed in that lead by about four, uh, about 50,000 votes on that front. Uh, anything else catch your eye with the second return of voting?
0: Uh, not much movement. Tatum taking over Embiid is intriguing. It, it feels like there's only two battles, Tatum and Embiid and Zion and AD. And they're not really battles because they'll all be star They'll all be all stars anyways, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it looks like that 71 point game from Donovan Mitchell went ahead and locked that up for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's done. <nice>. Yeah. <laughs> so it looks like it's going to be him and Kyrie. I think those backcourts are set. Um, Stephen Luca just took off as well. Yeah. Uh, that's so yeah, not. Not much surprising, but Nikias, it appears you are a needle mover. Go ahead. Let's acknowledge Nikias real quick. De'Aaron Fox is he now made number it. 10 he's in the West.
2: The, he's on the list.
0: Replacing uh, Jordan Poole. And Julius Randle has gotten to number 10 in the East, replacing Jared Allen.
2: Girl, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. That's, uh, that's for our watch party originals. But no, I, I can't take credit for that in good faith. I will say this should have been what we saw in the first return. Like they should have been on the list somewhere. It's a little shocking that they weren't. Hence the rant. Uh, nice to see Julius Randle continue to get some getting some love after continuing to play well. And Darren Fox, man, he's been really freaking good. He's been really good all year. He's been killer in the clutch. Uh more efficient defensive activities, perk, but it's nice to see him getting some more love. He's not going to start and he shouldn't start over Stefan Luca, but it's nice to see the fan love starting to catch up to what he's been doing this season. Now to the theme of the episode uh, earlier this week, we talked about all things offense. So we are flipping the court for this episode. We're talking about all things defense this year, Steve, what are some trends that have caught your eye on the defensive end of the ball this year?
0: Well, it's interesting I love defense. I love watching defense. I love breaking defense down. Didn't fall down a rabbit hole this morning, but I was looking at some of the defensive rating statistics. I saw the Cavs, I believe, were number one at 109.2. That would have been eighth last year. Um, There are only four teams that have a defensive rating of under 110. Uh, So there's 26 that are 110 or over. Last year was 21. Defense is such a beautiful thing. Like, there's nothing better than seeing effort from teams, what they want to try and take away, the impact they're trying to have. And we talked about on the last episode, we are seeing an offensive explosion. Um, I think it's probably easy to just say, hey, well, no one plays defense. I don't think that's true. I just think the evolution of offense and the way these offenses are playing right now is putting defenses in a tough spot. So, like, it used to be You only had to worry about certain things against certain teams. Uh, Movement, we could watch out for the Warriors. Watch out for post play here. Watch out for dribble attack here. Everyone is playing with pace and tempo. And that's putting pressure on teams to defend every single night. And we talked about it last episode. Offenses are not letting up. They are not letting you get set they are trying to attack you in different ways. So the things maybe you had built into your scouting report or your game plan, they're just making plays like dribble handoff. Yes, Gary Harris has taken one dribble and it's pulled up in your face. <laughs> now what? That is a shot they want to take. <laughs> that is not a shot that you force them to take. So how are you impacting the ball? How are you impacting these teams? And I think part of the, part of the struggle with defenses and appreciating – what these teams are trying to do or going through this year, they're having to sustain a higher level of defense night in and night out because Mm -hmm. of the way these offenses are playing. Like I was just bouncing through clips this morning. I pulled up Detroit, Minnesota. There's a play early in the game. Killian Hayes comes off the screen. Rudy Gobert is in a drop. It's an immediate skip pass to Jaden Ivey. Like before you can even think about it. That's how ahead these offenses are. Ivy drives the closeout. So now Rudy goes from in a drop to help. Daniels has to sink. Austin Rivers has to take the kick to the corner. And now Anthony Edwards has to recover to the shooter. That's the Pistons doing that. (laughs) That's the Pistons. Like more people are doing, you know, it's a copycat league. So you're seeing more fake handoffs. You're seeing more stop and pops, more teams driving and kicking. The versatility makes it tough. And so it's hard to really lock in on one thing to say, hey, we're going to take this away. So you're seeing more teams kind of trying to put their footprint on teams, trying to defend certain actions, trying to take certain things away, but understanding, hey, we're going to give more things up. Combine that with transition defense being, well, not my eyes and a yes. disarray, and you combine that with the amount of teams that are pushing in transition, and you find yourself in this position. Like, it just feels so much harder for these defenses to set up and load up. And that that's where, like, I want to give defenses credit because you are seeing multiple efforts. You're seeing teams defend multiple actions. But these offenses continuing to play deep in the clock, continue to improve, continue to make them churn, you have to sustain those. And it just feels like there's less of an emphasis on sets, kind of like we talked about in the offense episode. More random plays, more random actions, which is going to put a heavier emphasis, not on your scheme, but your core principles. Can you contain the ball? Is your help set up? Can you help and recover? What are your closeouts like? And that's where I feel like defenses are getting some of that sweet chin music in a sense. Um, wow. So that's it. Like my thing is always who's anticipating, who's dictating, who's reacting you're having to live a lot more in the reaction zone than you probably would like as a defense these days. I mean, I, for me, if you're talking about trends that are causing this, I think, I think dribble penetration across the league and the closeouts from defenses have stood out for me. I feel like that opens up a lot league wide to where now it's a drive help comes. They're playing out of it. You're in rotation. What did you give up? Um, and it's the little things like you'll see a strong defensive effort for the first five or six seconds. Uh, I think I was watching Orlando Portland. They had a really good switch. They had a really good stunt as the drive came. And then there was one more pass. They didn't switch. It was a drive and a layup. And it's like, well, that was really good. <laughs> until and until and that's kind of the thing that I keep standing out in my brain like, oh, it's there. But the better teams are the ones that can sustain it or take the lumps or reach a different level. The teams that struggle are the ones that can't necessarily get past that level, if that makes sense. So, you know,
2: that's that's kind of it's kind of my deal right there. Oh, I got you. And just to add on to the, the transition and the pushing point. Not just how willing teams are to push the versatility and who's pushing like there are just more bigs that are willing to it's not just catch turn outlet to guard let's go i'm going to run the middle of the floor depending on who you're watching sabonis grab a board he'll push it himself and now your big is having to defend in space 60 feet from the basket it's like wait a minute how do i if i'm the one that took the shot or got bumped or whatever how do i get up try to get in front of this guy turn my heels angle my way that i don't end up getting a foul drawn on me or can i get back in time to where my guy in the corner didn't have to sink in to account for me trying to catch up. Now it's a skill. Now that guy's driving. Now he's driving, kicking. Now we're going from there. It's, it is insane how skilled the game is right now and the freedom that teams have. Like Charlotte, who right now has the worst offensive rating in basketball. A lot of that is just because LaMelo balls missed most of the season, but worst offensive rating in basketball. Like Mason Plumlee has brought the ball up after a miss. And it's just like, if Mason Plumlee has the freedom to do that, no disrespect to Mason Plumlee, but like, if he's doing it, then yeah, you're going to see Sabonis do it. You're going to see Bam Adebayo do it. You're going to see Joel Embiid do it. You go to Milwaukee, you're like Brooke is it, but Giannis is effectively a big, and you know what he does in transition. It's nasty stuff on that regard. I think for me, if we're to copy like the last episode, like what, what how to sum it up, for me, it's defenses are really trying. And like, that sounds reductive. And it also sounds like a kind of like a pushback to the, oh, no one's playing defense. Like, yes, they are. They're trying. But like, no, they're genuinely trying. Like, zone possessions are way up, like, in terms of league average. Zone possessions are way up than they were last year. Some of that is just Miami skewing the numbers because they, if you just look at, like, the tracking numbers for zone, they are so far ahead of everyone <laughs> over the last decade. It makes a little wild. But, like, even if you take Miami out of the equation, I think it's nine teams averaging at least four zone possessions a game this year. It's eight if you take Miami out. Last year was at seven. The year before that was at five. So like even with that, even if you take out Miami as like an outlier high, the volume of teams that are experimented with zone more has increased this year as compared to the league, uh years past. So zone is up. Ball pressure in, in the backcourt is up. Like we, you obviously you can pinpoint like Jose Alvarado, he'll do it. Marcus to do it. Uh Jordan Gooden would do it. But like league-wide, that's that rate has continued to increase. So you're seeing more effort there. You're seeing more scheme versatility. Um, something that I mentioned when we had Zach Lowe in the pod, something that's the standing out to me. It was like, hey, it feels like more teams are putting a big at the level or just putting two on the ball this year. So went down a little rabbit hole. like, is that true? Is this a hey, this is popping for me because I'm seeing it, or is this actually like a league-wide trend? Um, fewer teams um are how to describe it? I guess fewer teams are doing that at a high volume this year. The last year it was 14 teams, um, that defended at least 20 pick and rolls per 100 possessions with a big at the level or higher. So that's just at the level of dropping back, at the level of containing, hedging, outright trapping, whatever. So it was 14 teams last year. It's 11 this year. Um, only one new team in that mix this year. That's New Orleans, which was interesting to me. Um, but even then, the, th- the three teams that dropped Milwaukee, which makes sense because Brooke Lopez is healthy this year. Um, Milwaukee, uh, I'm trying to get this right. Milwaukee was one, Dallas was one, and Indiana was one. And that makes sense. Dallas has dealt with injuries and they have new personnel. And with Indiana, DeMontis Sabonis is in Sacramento, and we've seen their rate rise this year. So naturally that kind of shifts things in that regard. Um, and then beyond that, something that you pointed out, something that's really just popping for me and kind of speaks to defenses are trying different things. Switch and double. Like more teams are doing that. And it's not just against a Luka Doncic like we saw in last year's playoffs. We're seeing more stars get that treatment. It's like we just don't want to give up gaps early. If you're going to pinpoint a guy that you want to attack, we'll give you that guy, and then we're going to force, thing, force things out of your hands. We'll try to at least bleed the clock a little bit and then try to recover from there. So that's kind of popping for me in terms of trends. But other than that, I step back. Like Defense is doing just about whatever they can <laughs> to try to get stops. They're toggling between schemes. They're pressuring the ball earlier and for further out. It just hasn't mattered statistically because offenses are so, they're so good. And I don't think the rules help in that regard either. But I think that's ultimately where I land with like what I'm seeing with defense. No, they're so good. And again, because it's
0: the copycat nature of the league, we've seen these defenses that you're trying so it's good that you are also trying it, but it's not like it's a new thing that we have not seen, and you're not as good as this thing, so we can exploit it a little quicker. I think that's where the hat tip goes to the offense, but back to your trying things point, yeah. Like, you're seeing more teams scram people out of mismatches, pre-switch before a pick-and-roll. You're seeing more teams turn a drop into a late switch. Like, we're seeing teams mixing unders and overs, whether it's handoffs or pick-and-roll. You're seeing teams try and keep a side pick and roll on the side or they might switch it like you're you're seeing teams trying to adjust on the fly in the regular season which could just be a reaction to how good offenses are could be a shot at the base defense who knows but you're you're at least seeing the attempts and that's where it's like that's where I got intrigued I'm like well yeah it's 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 doing this but also
2: <laughs> the, the effort's there there man it's it's so tough and I'm with you like I'm someone that I've really grown a love for like trying to break down defensively. Like, okay, how did this team score? Like what went wrong here? And I've seen in my film, like a lot of it has just been, it's been a lot less of what on earth is this guy doing and more so, man, this is really good design. Wow. This is a really good screen to pry this guy open. Wow. That was a really instinctive cut. Wow. That pass was earlier than expected. And that kicked off the chain. It's just like, it's becoming less about this defense is, doing something wrong and more so that this offense is doing more things right or just doing it right earlier and now you're in even more of a bind. The margin for error is just shrinking on defense. I think is where I ultimately land. Um on the flip side of the equation, what are some things that are annoying you with defenses this year?
0: Do we have enough time? <laughs> this is
2: the darker spot. We always have enough time.
0: <laughs> oh uh bad trans bad transition defense. Like just communicate, please. Like, just someone to take the ball, someone shooter. Yeah. Like like it's, it's crazy. Over helping, please stop. We're please back. Please stop. Please stop. Please stop. Please stop. Please stop sliding next to your teammate who is containing the drive. You are opening up a play. Please recognize who you're helping off of. Like, yes, the scheme may dictate that you should be in this position, but you probably should have been there earlier, and now you're trying to get there late. And look, Damian Lillard's open. So good, <laughs> good job there. Uh, if one person drives, not all
2: like all five of you are not required or needed for help at that point. At the same time, so is that the uh, the the Grayson Allen uh, go ahead shot against Toronto after they nearly blew a lead in like five minutes? Uh, yeah, it's also
0: yeah. it's also the the Zion Williamson picture where he's dunking and every Toronto Raptor defender is just looking at him. <laughs> there, there's one ball and they just like most times there's only one light bulb. There's only so many of you needed for this exercise. <laughs> uh, ball watching. Like it happens. It's a, it's a human tendency. I get it. But if you are big and Brooke Lopez is spaced from three, he's likely spaced there for a reason. Don't just stare at the ball for 15 <laughs> seconds and now be <laughs> surprised when, Oh, the ball has gone to Brooke Lopez. Cause he looks open. Oh, he shot it like that. You have a responsibility. Don't, don't they just ignore it. Or don't just stare at the ball on the weak side and relax, and you end up getting back cut for a layup. Like, you you weren't even involved, and now you've given up a layup. <laughs> you,
2: how you open up a play
0: and they ain't even going at you? Yeah, like, don't do that. <laughs> um, what else do we have? Being surprised when someone is attacking you off the dribble on a switch. Like, you switch for a reason, to contain the penetration. Why Why are you... Why are you shocked that they are now driving as hard as they can?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's not it?
0: No, I don't understand. Uh, Also, going under on a handoff or a screen and just being surprised that they have stopped and are shooting now. And now you're trying to late contest. I'm not sure about that. Uh, Bad closeouts stood out to me this year. Feels like it's either you're doing a bad closeout to a shooter or you're getting blown by. Um, Two people double teaming at the same time. No thanks. It's it's either coming from the baseline or it's coming from one pass away. Both of you don't have to be here at the same time. Um, and then when, when a screen is set and you're showing and you see that your teammate is fought over the screen, appears to be fine, don't keep sliding. Just recover. You, you He's done his job. You've done your job. Your extra slide is not helping and now a pop is open and you've given up a shot. So that's that's the list for me.
2: Okay, can I ask you a question? Because like I had a pet peeve similar to uh, within that same vein. But then as I was like typing it out in my notes, I was like, huh, wait a minute, which is better? So when you have a situation where a big is playing at the level or coming out the hedge or whatever, you want to cut off the drive. You don't want to get the drive. Would you like what's worse in your eyes? being in that coverage and someone being able to turn the corner or having the guard split that and get downhill immediately turn the corner turn the corners okay Uh, okay because that's that's how I felt initially I was like the the
0: split stinks but the split is also skilled so you got to tip the cap there and be like hey good job we'll tighten that up if your job is to be up so that we can contain the drive and you do not contain the drive there is no one behind you you are the tall person (laughs) (laughs) we are we are cooked (laughs)
2: Okay, I I wanted to make sure I wasn't tripping because like that's where I went. And I went to like, okay, well, if you do split it like that is skill, but also like it's a quicker path to the rim. If your rotation behind it is a set, then that could be some real issues. I was just like, wait a minute. Is that worse? It's felt worse when you get the corner. corner. So, okay, I'm glad I'm not uh, by myself on that. But like that one, that's a big one for me, especially with teams being more willing to do that with some of their bigs. Like you literally have one job in that case. Do not let them turn the corner if they split fine. Not fine, but fine. they turned the corner, like, what are you even up there for at that point like you would just be better off in a drop if you were just gonna give that up anyway um beyond that, I will kick things off since it's technically a a defensive violation um The kickball violation continues to um annoy me like that's it's more of a league than league thing than a player thing like this let's let's call that correctly folks a kick is a kick um. <clears throat> It's more understandable, but I still get a little squeamish when teams deal up the switch very easily. Uh, like the reverse engineering, I want to see how teams counter that at some point. We talked about that a little bit on the last pod. But like, if you know that this is the metric that they're trying to get to, if you're not switching and doubling, like I don't get like fight just just fight for it. Like that just irks me. Um, this may be like two K brain seeping in, but now I'm starting to see a little bit in the league. If you're under 10 seconds in the shot clock, really if you're under 14, but if you're under 10, like please don't get any silly reach-ins or any like don't do that and reset the clock and now you gotta defend all over again. Like finish the possession. And on that note, bad box outs or people just staring at the ball instead of finding a body to box out. I, I really do feel like being old and musty. Oh god. Um find i have I've box. I've done my job. Oh my, that's so uh na- ah, so many offensive rebounds. If buddy, if you box out and then dude just jumps over you. Or you get muscled out of the way because he's stronger than you. Like that stinks. You may get a couple of LOLs on the timeline, but like you were in your position and it just didn't work. The amount of shots up, head just staring up at the back of the rim. Someone just skirts right under you or right in front of you and gets a board. Like, what are you, what are you there for? You're an NBA player box now. Um, <clears throat> and I think the last one on my list, cause you hit a lot of mine. I would just say if you're going to be in a deep drop, like at least have your arms up. Like at least have a general stance about you, or a general level of activity about you. I, I don't like the the deeper drops already bother me because what can be given up if you're also just kind of standing flat footed. Like I just aesthetically, that kind of kills me. It's like the, I guess going back to a year, year and a half, it's like the early Moses Brown film where I'm just like, brother, you are large and lengthy. Like what are we, what are we doing here? Just, just be active on defensive unit. If you're in a drop, be ready to. Stun at the ball handler, be ready to get back out to the law. Don't just stand there and let people dictate what they're trying to do to you defensively. We can now move on, unless you have any other peeves that uh that you may have forgot about. Is that we're good? No, we're good.
3: Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got rocket money. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to RocketMoney.com/Wondery. That's RocketMoney.com/Wondery. RocketMoney.com/Wondery. When you choose
4: Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great-tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great tasting, high quality organic dairy ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit OV.COOP. That's OV.COOP.
2: Let's move into some teams that have impressed us in the first half of the year defensively. Steve, who is on your list? The Milwaukee Bucks, Ah.
0: they have impressed me uh, for a couple different reasons. So last year, I felt like the secret sauce to their defense was the activity from their guards. This year, it's that with the production of Brooke Lopez and what he's brought to the table and the commitment they've had to what they want to do defensively. Like Brooke Lopez has been insane this year, and what he does really makes Milwaukee's defense work. If they want to get into a scenario where, hey— this is a two-on-two deal in pick and roll. Everyone's going to stay home. The guards have to work, but Brooke has to be money. And it is one thing to be in a drop and contain penetration and say, hey, we're giving you the pull-up or the floater, have a blast. It is another when your biggest is locked in at the rim and in the paint as Brooke Lopez has been this year, and that adds such a huge element to what they want teams to do like his timing has been insane this season. I wish I had a stat. I wish I had a number. My eyes are just telling me every single time that he's supposed to come up and contest at the rim, and protect that basket deep. He's there, whether it's a contest or a block, he's doing it without fouling and that mm-hmm. makes everything work. And you're seeing teams start to think twice about it. You know, we saw in the Toronto Milwaukee game, that space was open. They didn't want to take that shot. We saw in the New York Milwaukee game, Jalen Brunson was thinking, okay, how do I dribble really fast, but also stop before I get too deep against Brooke? And that's important. If you're making things team twice and you combine that with the consistency of the effort from their guards and their wings, navigating screens, like whether it's Drew, Javon, Pat, Bochamp, like West, pick a name. They're pressuring that ball and they know it's on them to navigate. They got to fight and get over and then get back in front of the ball handler. They got to pressure and get to the screen, slide under at the last second. Whatever they have to do to get everyone else not involved, they're doing it. And that work that they do allows not just everyone else to stay at home and avoid rotation, but it it keeps brooking his spot. And now instead of the drop just really being a safety net where we're trying to funnel to it, it's no. This is the last resort. You've had to deal with that. You beat it. Now I'm here. It's the it's like final boss. Yeah, it's a boss in a video game. <laughs> and yes, that for the most part that allows their defense to stay at home and do the whole three point thing that everyone likes
2: to still talk about. <laughs> which don't get me started. Yeah um, uh, but the Bucks in are, are tenth in a three point rate allowed this year yeah, and being yeah. in the bottom. Yeah, you know, just wanted to yeah, throw that there. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, cool. Cool. <laughs> But, yeah, the big thing is, again,
0: the consistency with doing that, though. Like, even if you are hurting them with pull-ups or jumpers or floaters, Brooke might come up a little bit higher. He might contest one or two of them. But their thinking rarely shifts, and that's been huge for me. And that's where Milwaukee is able to get into that dictating zone when it's humming. These are the shots you're going to get. We're going to see how many of these you're going to make, and we're going to see how many times you're going to want to make them, want to try them. Because it's one thing to have early success, but if that's not really what you want to do offensively in the regular season, you can get away from that. And now you're in a dogfight. Um, everyone wants pace. Everyone wants tempo.
2: Um, so, yeah. There we go. A nice shout out to Milwaukee. I will add just to the Brook point. I want to look it up very quickly as you brought up the I don't have a stat for it won't completely uh answer it for you, but uh Brook is leading the NBA in contested two-point shots at 15.1. Second place is Zubach at 9.7. Like no one's even in the same stratosphere. Uh Brook is no longer leading the league in blocks per game. That goes to Jaron Jackson Jr. right now. But he is averaging more blocks and fouls. Uh that is something that him that only him and Jaron very brief, barely are doing um among the players that are averaging at least two blocks per game. So it kind of speaks to one, the discipline that Brooke has to be able to contest that many shots without fouling and just to contest that many shots is insane and kind of speaks to what Milwaukee's doing up top. So just wanted to bounce off of you there. Milwaukee's been fun. Uh, who else did you have on your list? Good sir.
0: Uh, speaking of Jaron Jackson Jr., the Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, ah, there we go. Uh, and it's the team defense for me. It's the concepts that they're trying to work with. It's the activity that they play with. Now, Jaron Jackson Jr. has made a huge difference in that with his ability to protect the rim, with his ability to cover up some stakes, his ability to defend multiple positions. Um, that's allowing Memphis to ramp that activity back up. That's allowing them to pressure the ball a little bit more. That's allowing them to be a little bit more active on handoffs. That's allowing them to, if there's a drive middle, we're going to hold a little bit longer on this stunt from the wing and just try and bother you, try and take away passing lanes, try and force some things, um, get you ramped up. You're seeing more rotations from them as the season has gone on. Um, When they're locked in, they're showing those bodies early. They're getting into you, they're physical, um, they're chasing screens, handoffs. It's been fun to see that. So you combine what Jaron Jackson Jr. does with what Desmond Mayne and Dylan Brooks have done defensively as far as being able to be active, A rejuvenated Steven Adams helps uh, to where he's able to give you those late switches where he's able to contain. You're seeing him fly around as well. I just like what they're attempting to do and the consistency with what they're doing it. You know, as far as this is our scheme, this is how we're going to defend. It's not going to break us if we give up points.
2: Not duff has been one. Jaren's insane. Beyond that, Dylan Brooks has been really, really, really good defensively this year. And it's easy to get caught up in the antics with Dylan Brooks. He will give you plenty. Um, And then on the other end, you will see the antics plus shots. And so I understand it can be very easy to be annoyed with Dylan Brooks. But what he's doing on the ball and the matchups that he's had to take on this year, like he's been the off-ball chaser. He's gotten point guard assignments. He has gotten the Zion assignment <laughs> in matchups against New Orleans. And as you were speaking about the off ball stuff, I'm just like, man, in my head, I just see here's a, here's a pin down from the corner. Here's Dylan Brooks ducking under one and then beating the guy on the other side anyway. And doing that while having the arms pulled back behind the back. So you're not getting any cheat fouls from there. You try to drive into his chest. You bounce off of him. He just does a really good job of absorbing contact. And like even during some of the dives that I was doing, uh, for pod prep. I'm looking at, okay, so what do actions involving Dylan Brooks look like? Like ISOs, well under 0. 0.9 points per possession. Handoffs, right around 0. 0.8 points per possession. Like Very much an elite number. Pick and rolls, hovering the low 0. 0.8 number, like elite numbers. I'm just like, oh, this is all insane. And it just kind of matches what you're seeing in terms of the navigation that he's had, the toughness, the toughness that he's playing with, in terms of the mindset. And again, like he's been tasked with guarding up. In matchups, and he's holding his own too. And then he will switch and toggle between assignments in possession as well. So, like, Jaron's the loudest piece. He's the most important piece of the defense. But, like, Dylan Brooks has been rock steady all year long. You talked about Desmond, (laughs) what Desmond Vane has been able to do this year. Like, he's perked up defensively. John Morant, we've talked a little bit about him uh, on the NBA app in particular. Like, still not a plus defender in my eyes, but like, the activity level is much higher than it was last season. And that helps. Tyus Jones being feisty at the point of attack again. He's had to play bigger minutes in turn in light of some of the injuries that Memphis has had to deal with. He's done his job. You talked about Stephen Adams and what he's been able to do. It's just been a fun effort watching this Memphis team defend all over the place and toggle through screens, uh, <clears throat> toggle through schemes, excuse me. So that's a good call on your part. Uh, did you have anyone else aside from Memphis? Oh, the Boston
0: Celtics. Okay. And with them, it's the defensive versatility for me. I'm sure there are people who are maybe disappointed by the Celtics defense so far this year, but they just bring so much to the table that it's hard for me to ignore. Having multiple lineups, having multiple coverages, having size, having length, having activity. The ability to throw those lineups out there where teams are just not sure where do we attack? Who's the person that we attack? Who do we put in action? And then you throw on top of that, they just have the ability defensively to just kind of mess things around and just not cooperate with what you want to do offensively. Like, hey, cool. Marcus Smart, we're going to put you on the big to start this possession. So now anything they do with him is going to be a switch. And hey, if we get a bad matchup, like maybe Derek White on someone, Al Horford can just kick him out. And now you've done all this action and we ended up right with the matchups that we actually wanted. (laughs) (laughs) That's not checkers. Yeah, they can put a Williams or a Horford in weak side help positions as a strength, not as a, Hey, you go hide. No, we want you to be able to be close to the rim, be able to give us that help. We talk about defenses, trying things. Boston can try and do a lot of those things. They could switch. They can switch and double. They can mess around and double on the move.
2: They can drop. They can be at the level. They can jumpy jump. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't have that in the pet peeves list. Nah, no, Isn't
0: that's amazing. Not worth it
2: okay
0: i'm trying to have a good pod here um you could think they're in a drop but because of their personnel that turns into a late switch so you thought you had pick and roll you thought you had pick and pop no you didn't we saw in the boston dallas game they just took christian wood right out of it hey man anything you do good you think you're gonna pop nope (laughs) you think you're rolling cool here's mark here's marcus smart (laughs) go ahead and throw it in the post we're just gonna stay at home good luck Uh, and then they have some of that good base now the, the, the base, again, to my overall point, that's where they get in trouble when teams are able to drive. Rotations aren't as crisp. Uh, but when they're able to get that help and recover going, it's really tough to them. So I guess I'm excited for all they bring to the table and ready to see what it looks like in a playoff setting.
2: I got you. I was in a weird place as we were like prepping for this. Like if I wanted to have Boston so my brow raised when I checked back into the Google Doc and saw you had put Boston in. I was like, all right, cool. They were just in this weird middle ground for me where it's like, okay, I know what they are and I know what they're going to be at full strength. Like Robert Williams is just coming back. I don't really care about the church about whether he's just start or not. Fine. Like, it looks like he's back in the starting lineup anyway. So there you go. So like, I knew what they were going to be. And so like the early season, they're like 20th or whatever. And it's like, okay, this isn't great, but like, I trust that it's going to be there. And now I think they are up to, I think seventh in defensive rating uh, before the Slater game start. And so yeah, they're seven to defensive rating heading into uh Thursday night slate of games. So it's like, okay, seven still isn't the high end of what they can do. I also know that the low end that, that we saw earlier in the season just wasn't sustainable. So I was just kind of like, eh, just going to put Boston to the side. So I'm glad you gave us some love. Defensive versatility is a good point from you. Uh, just a brief Boston question for you. Like, how have you felt about, uh, Al Horford this year versus last season? Just in terms of overall impact. I think he's still been very good. It's not quite
0: the demon time level that we've seen. I don't think he's been asked to do as much as he was during last year's regular season when they made that push defensively. But it it has not gone to, well, Al's a problem or anything like that. He he can still switch if he needs to. Uh, He can still help. He's got that versatility. So I've enjoyed what he's done. And again, uh, and maybe it might be my eyes, but I think there's a higher level for all the Celtics involved defensively. So I think we may be seeing more from Al uh, down the stretch.
2: Okay, that makes sense. Like, I I felt good about him, too. I just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Big Al and what he's maybe been doing in Boston. It would appear that it is my turn. I'm going to start with what feels like the quietest top defense in the league we've had in a while. Like, Boston deserves their flowers. Milwaukee has deserved their flowers, especially when they've been healthy. Memphis has been insane, especially since Jan Jackson Jr. has been back. Cleveland's just kind of been a metronome. Like, it's just been Jared Allen being one of the best interior defenders in basketball. It's Evan Mobley continuing to rock out in space and getting better as an interior defender. It's perked up defensive energy from Donovan Mitchell. We've talked about that before. (laughs) Were you just waiting on that note to come Well, you got that, but like even with some of the wings that they've been able to cycle, that they've had to cycle through this year, and like I do think there's going to be a move made at some point before the deadline to get something, uh, get someone that can kind of balance out their lines a little bit better. But like the effort's been there from anyone that's filled that three spot. When like, when Dean Wade was there, he was solid, and he was hurt. We talked a little bit about this earlier in the season, but Kears Laverton, he's been fighting on defense, still isn't great at it, but the energy level's been there. Isaac Coral's been pretty darn good defensively especially as of late, we know then what the problems are on the other end of the floor. But just looking at defense, he's been good. When Lamar Stevens has had to step in, like he's also done a solid job. It's just been a really good collective effort. And what they have in the front court is just not normal. When you have two bigs like Evan Mobley and Jared Allen that can take up as much space as they do, that can slide as well as they can in space. And this is a Cleveland team that can toggle between schemes if they want to. Like we talked about this more so last year than this year, but they can have Evan Mobley at the top of the zone if they want to. They can have Evan Mobley in a drop if they want to. They can have him up to the level and then drop back. You can go late switch with Evan Mobley. And even if you try to pick on a matchup, well, hey, there's Jared out on the back end. If you try to run Spain against them, okay, cool, you might get this big caught up, and now you got to deal with this other one at the rim. And it's just, it just feels like a puzzle trying to score against Cleveland in the half court. And so I've really appreciated what they've brought to the table this year. Um, the Pelicans, I had question marks about their overall defense heading into the year, especially as they got healthier. Like what was Zion, what was Zion JV front court look like? What's it going to look like up top? And what it's been is JV looking pretty good with what he's been asked to do defensively, whether he's at the level or in the drop. Zion, before he got hurt, definitely made strides as an off-ball defender. That was necessary. C.J. McCollum has been fighting his tail off navigating screens this year. He should be commended for the effort he's putting in defensively this year. Has not been an all-defense caliber season for Herb Jones like I was hoping we would see in year two. Like, he's still a good defender. And hopefully, if we get a, an extended stretch of just healthy play for him defensively, we'll see him hit that level more consistently. Trey Murphy has taken a step defensively. Jose Alvarado is just an absolute menace Coming off the bench, Najee Marshall can defend multiple positions. They just have a L- Larry Nash Jr. What he does as small ball five is someone who can play alongside traditional big if necessary. They can just problem solve in a way that I did not anticipate heading into the year. And the fact that they've been able to push pretty much all of the right buttons defensively and with their lineups um, in the midst of so many injuries in their starting lineup has been wildly impressive to me. Definitely want to give New Orleans a shout. Uh, want to give Brooklyn a shout as well. Wait, wait, talk- Oh, go ahead.
0: Wait, 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 wait. Is this a troll? Is this an anniversary troll? An anniversary you, troll. You've just listed a Donovan Mitchell Darius Garland backcourt after everything you said about a Dame CJ backcourt. You gave <laughs> CJ McCollum a compliment with a Zion JV front court. And now the Nets. <laughs>
2: Is everything okay? Did you eat too much In-N-Out? What's happening? Did I? <laughs> I have not been to In-N-Out. Uh, okay. I, I, the, I suggested it in the watch party on Wednesday night, and they're like, "No, it's love yourself." I'm like, "Okay, well, oh, wow. I guess I, I guess I won't be doing that." Uh,
0: Sorry, I didn't mean to break the rhythm, but I no, you're <laughs> going back in my memory bank. All the Nets defense conversations were were me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm intrigued. Let me get my popcorn. <laughs>
2: Well, I guess part of me having those priors is why I've been as impressed as I was, because like you know how I feel about smaller backcourts in general. And I will say, like on the Dame CJ front, like I probably would have given them a little bit more leeway. One, if we got this CJ compared to the one that we got in Portland. And two, like if the front court was not Nurk. And it you, you have Jared Allen back there instead of Nurk. Like, that gives you a little bit more of a margin for error. So I will give Cleveland uh, props on that front. But no, New Orleans has really been working this year. Like I think they deserve the love. And with Brooklyn, what they've got, like, just sizing up in general has really helped their defense. There's still a team that switches quite a bit, but now it's not a bunch of small guards. Now it's Royce O'Neill. Now it's Joe Harris as he's gotten healthier. Now it's Ben Simmons into the fold. <clears throat> T.J. Warren, another big body. Utah Watanabe, another big body. And then what they're doing up front with Kevin Durant and Nick Claxton. It's hard to overstate how insane Kevin Durant's season has been. Just just on the offensive side of the ball, it's been ridiculous. But when he has that kind of offensive workload and he still challenges as many shots as he does defensively, he's been tasked with being their weak side rim protector. He's been asked with switching out and funneling guys and making life difficult. And Kevin Durant's been able to do that as well. And then Nick Claxton continue to get stronger and doing a better job of dealing with more size. Uh, still not <clears throat> like he, I no one can guard Joel and beat one-on-one, but like he doesn't have the strength of that still, but doing a better job of fighting through contact on the defensive end, which I think has been huge for him contesting, been disciplined. The switching is really impactful. Like you really, you really can't shake that dude in space, Like he's one of the best switch defenders in basketball. And so when you have a tandem like that, and when you have more size on the wings, it allows you to flatten out more option, um, more offensive sets. Brooklyn has just been a lot more solid. And the big surprise for me is just relative to what I expected heading into the year, like the rebounding has been better than I thought it would be. And so not only can they kind of flatten out offenses, they can also end possessions better than they could last season. And because they're able to end possessions with this level of versatility on the floor, it kind of transforms their, their also kickstarts their transition offense as well. Again, that's more offensive thought than anything, but I've been impressed with what Brooklyn's been able to do. OKC. Right outside of the top 10 defensive rating without a true rim protector.
0: Ah, uh, we're back on we're back we, on track.
2: Come on. <laughs> no, man, they deserve their love. Like, I was really excited to see what Chet would do and what the Thunder defense would look like with a rim protector like Chet or just interior presence like Chet Holgram that they can funnel things in. They haven't had them, and it hasn't really mattered. <laughs> 11th in defensive rating this year, but they're 6th in half-court defense. New Dort doing work on the ball, off the ball. We don't really want to talk about it. Like, it's fine, but not what you expect for a guy with his reputation. But, no, he's done the thing. Uh, we talked about Donovan Mitchell perking up his defensive intensity this year. Shea Gilge's Alexander has certainly done that. Josh Giddy, not a plus defender overall, at least not yet. But, like, he's gotten stronger. He's done a better job of containing. And then their role guys really fight. Um, I, I I'll always sing the premises of what Kenrich Williams does. Aaron Wiggins, also solid when he gets minutes. Eugene Omorui. I want to make sure I get that right. But he, in spot minutes, and spot starts, has been tasked with defending multiple positions. He's played some five. He's defended some wings. They, they're just so sound in what they do. And they do such a good job of shrinking the floor. And you talked about the point about teams, I guess, league-wide doing a poor job of closing out. OKC hasn't really had that issue compared to the rest of the league. And I think just that general discipline and the athleticism and the way they swarm, it allows them to kind of punch above their weight defensively. And so if they already have these kind of principles there. If they get Chet in the room next season, if they trade for a big, I don't know, like they're not that far out of the play right now. We'll see if they actually want to push versus going the other way. We'll see We're in January right now, but like if they do make a move for a big, I'm excited to see what that looks like for them. Cause this is, At least, at the very least, the second year in a row where we're seeing like, okay, this team fights defensively. They have a system that they seem pretty keyed in on, and they are ranking higher than you would anticipate. So I want to give the Thunder love. And last, I didn't have this in the Google Doc, so excuse me. But like, Philadelphia just quietly a top five defense this year. Like I had my concerns about the consistency level of Joel Embiid earlier in the year. I haven't really had that. Since he's been back, he's been an absolute menace on the interior. And then up top, like what they've gotten from De'Anthony Melton this year, like I'll, I'll always sing his praises, but no, he's been insane at the point of attack this year, what he's been able to do. Tobias Hare still continuing the fight defensively. <clears throat> Daniel House has been fine as an addition. Uh, we're not going to talk about the other end because that's not what this pod is for. But like defensively, he's doing his job. Like it's, it's really been a nice collective effort. Uh, Matisse Steible finding himself back in the rotation and still flying around defensively as well. Philly's, Philly's doing the thing defensively. And so we again we'll see like what the overall defensive rate looks like as you know, Tyrese Maxey back in the fold now, James Harden there. So we'll see if, how that affects the numbers per se. But overall, like Philly's kind of been a metronome on defense this year. I think they deserve their props as well. Um, as we go to the other end of the table, teams that make us sting, teams that are kind of disappointing in a way. I start with Golden State. If you would have told me entering the year that we would hit the midway point of the season and they would be a bottom 10 defense in the NBA, I probably would have laughed at you or I would have asked, okay, who all has been hurt? And to that point, like, missing stuff does hurt. Missing Andrew Wiggins certainly hurts in terms of the wing room. But like... It's hard to get the early part of the season out of my head with them. It was just like a month of what's happening in terms of containment. They could not stop drives, period. And because they couldn't stop drives, they fouled a lot. And because they fouled a lot, they gave up a lot of efficient offense. And so it was stunning to watch. And like Draymond Green is like the centerpiece of their defense. Like he wasn't bad, but he wasn't Draymond. And so because things are so bad up front and he wasn't completely locked in, it was just a snowball effect of what the heck are the Warriors doing on defense. And so if you limit it down to, you know, the game since Christmas, it's been eight game samples. So it's not a large sample. Like they've been the fifth best defense defense in the NBA since Christmas. So we're going to keep an eye on that as they continue to get healthier and see like what that looks like. Really want to see what the defense looks like on the road, because the road in general has been an issue for Golden State. But I just expected more from them. I expected the containment to be better. I expected the rotation to be better. I expected more steps to be taken from the young guys. And it really feels like in terms of the defensive end of the ball, it feels like it's just been Jonathan Kaminga that's kind of giving them positive stuff. Like Moses Moody feels like if it's not a full blown step back, at the very least it's kind of stagnated from what it was last year. And as you've talked about when we talked about the Warriors this year, like some of the mistakes being made by the young guys are mistakes that the Warriors can't really afford to eat, especially in light of some of the guys that they've been missing up top in the rotation. <clears throat> and so, like, I, I want to see the young guys continue to grow. I want to see them really just lock in defensively. Uh, would not surprise me if we see, like, a big second half run for Golden State on both ends of the floor. But through 41 or 42 games, whatever it is, like Golden State wasn't where I thought they were going to be this year um and the other team i had on the list was the nuggets another team that's perked up as of late but they were so bad at the beginning of the season i was like do y'all want to contend are we sure and i feel like we've had like seven different discussions on <laughs> denver's defense so i won't hang here too long but yeah i didn't expect them to be like 27th like they were the first month and a half of the year they, they have gotten inside the top 20 as of late um, they've been a really good defense um over the last couple of weeks two or three weeks so things starting to perk up on their end but it just, it just wasn't tight enough. Like the containment up top wasn't good enough. The rotations were off and or small. And so that led to teams just kind of blitzing them at the rim. If they were able to pass around their pick and roll coverage, which is generally Jokic or whoever their big is at the level of the screen. Um, but again, things are starting to tighten up on their front, but those are the two teams that have disappointed relative to expectations for me. Um, who did you have? Well, first any thoughts and then who did you have? Mm,
0: does your Warriors thoughts change with Andrew Wiggins coming back? Or is this just a nah? Uh,
2: I think he, I think he helps quite a bit. Like in terms of the containment on the perimeter being such a big issue for Golden State, like it can't be undersold that he is their best wing defender and missing him for as long as they have. Like that certainly hurts. It just pushes everyone up the hierarchy in terms of assignments. And if they can't handle those, now the rotations are just different or who's making those rotations is different. I think Andrew Wiggins is going to do a lot to kind of put everyone back in their comfort zone in terms of role. And just again, him in general, he's really good. He has really turned himself into one of the better wing defenders in the league. So I think he's going to help, and that's going to help aid Golden State continuing this turnaround if they make it. I got you. Um,
0: For me, most of the teams that are making me think are teams that I probably just had more expectations for defensively, and I'm trying to figure out. So the Raptors, for me, they have the personnel. They have the activity. I'm waiting for it all to come together uh, to where it's really something you can count on every night because it just feels like there are those nights where they have those lapses where, you know, you may be smaller, but you're still giving up dribble penetration. You're over helping. You got two or three people trying to fly around and help somebody. And now you're opening up other plays. Um, just those kind of breakdowns that they continuously have you're small, but you're not switching, but you are kind of switching, but then you're not <laughs> switching. And that happens on the same possession. It's like, well, what's the, what's the vision here? What, yeah. what are we trying to get done? Uh, you know, are you this, are you that, or are you hurting yourself more times than not? And so I'd like to see them tighten that up because again, they have the people, they have the mindset, they have the, the, the philosophy, but, is the effort going to be there? Are, are your closeouts going to be good? Are you overhelping? Can you can you get rid of that? You bullied me to take the Clippers off, so no worries. Oops. <laughs> I did not bully you to take the Clippers off. It's <laughs> fine. Don't okay. worry about it. Hey, L.A. love. I get it. L.A. Um, try, love, try to, keep, try to keep you safe. Okay. Um, <laughs> the Wolves. Uh, just a lot of question marks that just I don't feel like I have the answer to quite yet. Mm-hmm. and last year, this is a team that pleasantly surprised me defensively. They had switched to making sure Cat was at the level. Uh, drop wasn't really working out for them. You saw flaws in that, but you saw an increased activity. You saw the effort. It worked for what they were trying to do. They got rid Bear, was who's great at drop, so you have to throw some drop in there. Problem is, they got rid of most of the screen navigators who also help will help drop work, <laughs> and you still have Cat. So we go back to the possession I talked to earlier in the, this this year. You're still in rotation even when you're in a drop. And that's not a positive sign. You still have Cat who is now having to figure things out in space. That's not ideal for building a base. And now you're trying to run two different schemes, you know. You're trying to run drop. You're trying to run at the level. It's, it's causing confusion. Your rotations are off. So I just haven't – I'm trying to see if they can really just find one thing that they're good at and build off from that. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I know I'm sure the numbers disagree with my eyes on this, but it's just something that stuck with me to where, Oh, you gave up that many points to Detroit again. Um, <laughs> and then Dallas for me, I really liked what they had built defensively last year. Uh, I feel like the effort has been inconsistent. I feel like they're at their best when they're active. The problem is I, the scheme versatility feels different for me this year. And it started with JaVale McGee. Like I've never loved them in a drop just because of what it opens up. And you had to play drop there with Christian Woods. You're trying to find a scheme. It's kind of drop. It's kind of at the level. It's kind of switch. You're not sure which one it is, depending on the night. Uh, The rotations haven't felt the same unless they have something they're trying to take away. Then they look great. Hey, we're doubling, we're moving, we're rotating, we're good. But those nights where it's, just they're just kind of out there playing. That's when they get themselves in trouble. So Mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to see if there's going to be another level there from them. Uh, But those would be the only teams uh, for me. I do have a quick question for you.
2: Go ahead.
0: Just bouncing off the last pod we did. What with this era, with more offenses doing what they're doing, with defense is trying, what's bad defense to you these days?
2: Um. I think bad defense is kind of what you were talking about with Toronto, where it's like, okay, what exactly are y'all, what are y'all trying to accomplish on this possession? Like, it's easy for me to say, okay, if this is a team that's at the level, I can pinpoint, okay, the contain was bad up the top. That's why things broke down. Or the rotation wasn't in, got the help defender wasn't peeled in early enough. That's why it ended up getting beat. When it's, okay, is this a switch or is this like a show? Like, what what exactly is happening? If I can't tell what you're trying to do, Like, that could just be my eye because I'm not a coach. But ultimately, like, if your players don't seem to know what the goal of the possession is from a scheme perspective, that's an issue for me. Um, And then I think you also see that kind of with the rotations, too, right? Like, seeing two guys rotating to the same guy is a problem for me. Like, that can be some problem solving. So, okay, I got it. But ultimately, like, you should kind of know if this pass goes here or if this area of the court is threatened, I know my responsibilities here. So if I see two of y'all rotating to the corners, like, okay, who was supposed to be at the corner already? Who's covering for the person that should have been there, but wasn't. And like, why is that an issue? And if it's happening consistently, it's like, okay, what's being taught here? Like, what is, what is the disconnect to where this issue keeps happening? Um, And I think on a more basic level, like bad defense, if you can't contain the ball, like you're just going to be in trouble. Like that just kind of exacerbates whatever rotation issues you may have you can't keep the ball in front not much is going to matter from that front so i think that's kind of where i go uh for me it's just
0: activity communication effort and consistency can i see what you're trying to do i see what you're trying to take away is the effort going to be there so yeah you might be getting up to drive but if your help is locked in uh, i can kind of get it but can i can i look at your possessions and say i get what you were trying to do when it's the possessions where wait what are you doing why are you helping there? Why is this close out here? Why this scheme? That's where I get kind of like, mm, I'm not yeah. so sure about what's going on. And then my last one was, how do you balance what you're seeing in the regular season with what a team could do in the playoffs? Or vice versa, could this team get hurt in the playoffs because of what they're doing?
2: I feel like you found a way to reverse engineer the Clippers question, huh?
0: So why they pull me, that's why they pay me the small bucks, but
2: <laughs> that's good stuff. Like <clears throat> for them in particular, because like even with it feeling a little uneven, like there has been a lot of experimentation. We've seen some drop. Like watching the Clippers Mavericks game, like I get that a lot of that could just be like, this is Luca, we have to do different things. But like even that kind of gave you the, the eye into okay, this is what the Clippers can be, even with Zubach on the floor. Like they can go deep drop. They can have them at the level and drop back. They can switch. They can go late switch if they need to. Like They can cycle through a bunch of things. And so for me, it's just kind of like how healthy are they when it comes to the Clippers, honestly? Because I think <clears throat> scheme-wise, they're already asked to do so much anyway. That's just kind of the Tyloo thing. I don't really worry about them being able to toggle schemes. It's more so like is there enough? Con- is there enough chemistry or connectivity, I guess, just with who they're going to have in. And so, like, I don't really consider them as a team. Like, will this get hurt or not? I think on that front, I probably look at a team like. I guess this is where. Maybe not New Orleans, because I think New Orleans has played themselves out of its zone. But like a team like New Orleans or heading into the year, it would be my, my New Orleans question. So, like, OK, I see what you're going to try to accomplish. The margin for error is so small, though. Like, if you do hit this matchup, like, how do you deal with that? And that kind of lip that would kind of alter like what I think their ceiling is. If that makes sense. No, I feel
0: you for me, it's, it's interesting. That's, that's really the real reason why I took the Clippers off because I couldn't praise mm-hmm. Boston and then just the Clippers. Cause they have that kind of versatility and that kind of switch that could is going to cause problems in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. that's where my mind went for me. It's just like, I think about it it's like, I can respect what you're doing now, but i I try, as the season progresses, to find, okay, what's the thing that could cause you problems? Like, I love what the Nets have done defensively. Their connectivity, their team defense, their switching, the lineups have been great. What happens when you play Boston you still have to play someone that's of a certain height? And they still look to attack that. Like, I love Cleveland having two bigs. What happens when the floor is a little bit more stretched? How are y'all going to counter those guards taking pull-ups and pick and roll? With Milwaukee, I'm fascinated by their willingness to stick with the deep drop. But what are you going to do when that really matters? And teams are like, no, we're just going to keep taking this shot. Like, mm-hmm. How's that look? You know, um, Even going to the West Coast, okay, Memphis, you've done a great job with this activity. What happens when it's different lineups and they got shooters all over the place? Are you going to have that same consistency? Are you still going to be willing to have that same help? What happens when it's just they put jaw and pick and roll? You know, those kind of things are where I'm just like, do you have a higher ceiling? Do you have more versatility in your back pocket? Can you cover up these flaws? Can you survive what teams are going to try and attack? That's where it gets interesting to me as we turn the corner towards the All Star break.
2: Oh no, that's good stuff. That's understandable. Like, I think this is what makes it fun though, because I feel like. It, more than any year, especially with how the league is kind of spread out, and we talked about a lot of it, the offense part, like the playoffs are always a matchup game. But where the league is now, it's definitely going to be a matchup game now where we're going to see so many things defensively being picked at, depending on who matches up with who. That, that's going to be the fun of it for me, and I am excited to see where that goes and just how teams close out the second half of the year. It's going to be good stuff to watch.
4: Whether you hydrate to live or live to hydrate, nationwide at Costco. Or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WONDERY at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WONDERY at liquidiv.com.
2: Steve, are you ready to get into a little bit of a war talk on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, let's do it, man. All right. Well, then, uh, halfway through the year, who do you have for defensive player of the year? What would your defensive player of the year ballot look like?
0: Brooke Lopez, followed by Jaron Jackson Jr., followed by
2: Bam Adebayo. Ah, I like it. I like it. Why uh, <clears throat> Why do you go Brooke over Jaren right now? He's been incredible all season.
0: He's, he's just been the foundation. If he's not doing it at this level consistently, the Bucks' defense isn't where it it, it should be. And don't get me wrong, Jaron has had an amazing impact in flipping that Memphis defense. And the blocks are probably going to be as loud as they can be as the season keeps going on. So I totally get the argument. I I just have to hand it to Brooke right now. He's he's been too he's been too good.
2: Okay. Uh, was there anyone else that you considered for your top three? Well, I mean. OG
0: Ananobi, Marcus Smart, Drew, Mikael Bridges, Embiid, Giannis. That's pretty much it.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I respect. You. Just wanted to get your names on there. Well, on that case, for me, uh, my top three for defense player of the year right now. Um, I also have Brooke at number one. Uh, just what he's done as the point of that defense, and with the consistency that he's done it and how often he's been there. Yeah, You know, I'm very much a a games played truther. 25 games played minimum for the guys on the list as we head into Thursday's action. Uh, Jaren is at exactly 25 games. Mm. And considering that Brooke has just played so much more and has been as steady as he's been, like I can't have Jaren up there right now. Um So I have Brooke one. I have Jared Allen two. Like he has been, again, one of the best interior defenders in basketball. He is spearheading the best defense in basketball right now. And the space numbers look pretty good for him too, in terms of defending ISOs or just defending on switches in general. So he's been able to do a little bit of both. Um Cleveland's defense has fared a little bit better with him off the court. And Evan over on this year It's not as wide, wide as a gap as it was last year, but like, it's still there. It's very, it's still very clear that Jared Allen is the piece that makes this work for Cleveland. And number three is Jaron and full disclosure, like on a per minute or per possession basis, he's been the best defender in basketball this year. Um, Ask me again in a month if he stays healthy. Like Jaren's two, probably one, if he keeps this up. I have him three right now. Uh, It's mostly a games play deal for him, but we've already talked about what Jaren has been able to do for this Memphis team this year. Don't have to hang here too long. In terms of honorable mentions, I had Bam basically four. Like it just, I just feel for Bam because he's been so good. And it's flying under the radar just because of how weird this heat season has been. And also in this context, it's flying under radar just because of how good Brooke and Jaron and Jared Allen have been, in my opinion. More so Brooke and Jared Allen. I think Jared Allen's just been kind of underrated overall. But <clears throat> he just kind of gets the short end of the stick here, but he's been incredible. Hasn't been as hasn't been attacked as much as he was in years past. And that's more so a credit to how good he is and teams knowing, okay. Our guards can't beat this guy off the bounce. Like, that's that's not a mismatch. We can't do that. We have other defenders that we can attack. If we can space-bam in a certain spot, we may be more fruitful than trying to go at him directly. Um, but he's been really good. He's been one of the best defenders in basketball. We should not forget that. Uh, Anthony Davis was insane before going down, and as he's been down, the Lakers have held water overall in terms of their record, but the defense has fallen off, and, off an absolute cliff since Anthony Davis has been out. It kind of speaks to how much... He was covering up on the defensive side of the ball. Wanted to give him some love. OG Ananobi is a good call. I think he's been the best perimeter defender in basketball this year. There's only so much he can do with a solid, but <clears throat> I guess a slightly underwhelming Raptors defense this year. They're in the top half of the league in defensive rating, but it hasn't been as dominant of an effort. And ultimately, like, if the Raptors don't finish with like a top seven defense, or if they don't get into this top six in terms of standing, like I'm worried that OG isn't going to get the love that he deserves for the season that he's having on the defensive end of the ball. But he's been wild. Um, smart's a good call. I have Dylan Brooks as a guy that I thought about, uh, particularly after the uh, the NBA media survey came out. Uh, someone gave him a Defensive Player of the Year vote. It's like ah, I can't get that far, but again, he deserves love for the season that he's having. Uh, he would just be kind of at the bottom of like the honorable mentions list for me. Um, for all defense. First team, second team. Do you want me to go first or would you like to go first? Uh, let me get my old mustiness out the way. Old and mustiness, okay. Yeah, yeah. let me get. Oh, and Joel Embiid is honorable mention as well. My values.
0: No, you're good. First team, I went Marcus Smart, Drew Holiday. Okay, I went Bam out of bio as a forward. Okay, due to historical voting patterns, I went Jaron Jackson Jr., also as a forward, mm-hmm. and I went Brooke Lopez as my center. My second team. I have Mikael Bridges. Okay. I have Derek White. Ah. Okay. I have OG Ananobi. Mm-hmm. I still have Draymond Green. Okay. No.
2: And then I have Nick Claxton. Ah, Nick Claxton as the second. Th- okay, so <clears throat> wait a minute. Where, where was the? Where's the Defensive Player of the Year love for Nick Claxton?
0: What do you mean?
2: Did you name him on the? Was he an honorable mention for you? Because I don't remember you said. Nope. Ah, I see. All right. Well, then, fine. He can get get this all defense, though. He can get this. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to leave you alone for now. (laughs) Uh, First team for me, um, not much changing on my end. Uh, I did do, like, an article detailing, like, where I was in, like, mid-December. My first team then was smart. I had Drew Holiday. I had Marcus Smart. I had OG Ananobi. I had Giannis and I had Brooke. Uh, as of now, I still have Drew Holiday and Marcus Smart as my guards. Uh, my Fords, I have OG Ananobi. I do have Jaron Jackson Jr. on the team on the first team. And I have Brooke Lopez at center. Uh, mm-hmm. For the second team, um, back in December, I had Derek White, Alex Caruso, Mikhail Bridges, Kevin Durant, and Jared Allen. Uh, as of now, I have Derek White still. I have Dylan Brooks as a second team guard. I have Kevin Durant as of now, but considering he's about to miss some time, like I would probably go with some sort of alternate. Like that's probably going to change in a couple of weeks or so. Uh, but he's on the team right now. I have Giannis on the second team, and I have Jared Allen as my second team center. No, Mikhail Bridges, huh? Uh, <clears throat> no, Mikal. McH- like he's very much shortlist for me. I'm slightly behind what. Uh, what Katie and Giannis have been able to do this year, but he's been good.
0: Where's, like, the, uh, where's Bam out
2: of bio, bud? Uh, <clears throat> while you gave Bam out of bio the uh the forward eligibility, uh, I did not. Uh, as the again, one, I don't have an official vote. Let me make that very clear. But two, uh, per like the ballot rules, it's supposed to be the player uh, you're voting at the player at where they play the most. Um, Bam has very much just been a center this year. Which just kind of gives him the short end of the stick because I feel like Brooke and Jared Allen have been better, um, at the center spot this year. Uh, I, do you want me to reel off my honorable mentions? Sure, man. Go ahead. We can go. Uh, cause I'm a sicko. Like I just had a very long, whatever. Uh, as far as honorable mention for guards, uh, Alex Caruso, who was on my team about a month ago, uh, Paul George, Anthony Melton, Jose Alvarado, Jordan Goodwin, who's just not going to get love, but he should, uh, from the forward room, Mikael Bridges. Of course, um, Jaden McDaniels, as weird as Minnesota's year. Like, Jaden McDaniels has, I think he's been Minnesota's best defender this year. Like what he's been able to do on the perimeter and what he's been able to do as a weak side rim protector has kind of gone under the radar because everyone's been memeing Minnesota and how weird it's looked, which understandably so. it has been some ugly possessions in Minnesota so far, but Jaden McDaniels has been insane this year. Uh, Draymond Green, also a guy that I thought about, Evan Mobley. <coughs> has been very good. Jimmy Butler flying under the radar again. Like, I think Miss game ultimately going to keep him out of the conversation at large, but on a per possession basis, like he's been really good, particularly off the ball and for centers Bam by of course, uh, Anthony Davis, of course, Nick Claxton on my list, Joel Embiid on my list. And then like the tier below that, like mouse Turner having a good season, Al Horford having a good season, Clint Capella, <clears throat> yeah, not going to make a team this year. Well, his impact in Atlanta is they look like an entirely different team when he's not anchoring things just in terms of what he does in a drop or when he's at the level and dropping back and just in terms of barking out instructions for them off the ball. like He means a lot to what they do. And when he's not on the court, they look an absolute mess. And this is coming from someone who loves Onyeka Okongu and loves the versatility that he can bring. But he, he's not Clint yet. Uh, so he was another guy that I thought about, but ultimately didn't make my short list, but think he deserves a love. And then just a couple of guys who didn't meet my, my games played minimum like Dennis Smith jr. What he was doing at the point of attack has been really good. And Victor Oladipo has been running around like a man with his head cut off in a good way since he's come back only 16 games though. So he's not going to get any series uh, consideration for an all defense team this year. Like even if he plays the rest of the way, like he's going to be cutting it pretty close to the current games played at the end of the year. So it might not matter but I want to give him a shot because he's been really good as well. Um, And with that, we can now transition to the mailbag. We got some really good questions about defense in the mailbag. Thank you to those who sent in questions. Again, if you ever have basketball questions for us, NBAW, whatever it is, email us at dunkerspot at yahoo.com. Um, First question is going to come from Drum, who I mentioned on the last podcast. I said he started with a defense question that I was holding for this one. Um, So we will start with his first. He actually sent his email in at the very beginning of 2023. So. After seeing a stat that states that there were 44 40 point games in the month of December alone, I was wondering if you feel any need to modify or change what defenses are allowed to do in the modern game. I know you touched on the defense of three seconds in a previous mailbag, but do you think there should be other, if any, changes made? Things like hand checking and FIBA goaltending rules come to mind as ideas, but I question if they would help at all or make things more confusing or annoying. Any ideas to help tame the scoring or are you all for letting it fly?
0: Uh, let it fly. I love defense. I, I love a good old fashioned grind fest. Don't get me wrong. This feels like a more fun mix league wide. So g- give me this. I'm fine. But defenses give the effort. Let's see the chess matches. They try and figure some things out. I was there for Spurs Nets in the finals. Was, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've seen a lot of defensive games. I,
2: let's it, we're good. This is this is spoken like a man that worked for Memphis for real. Like, hey, I have seen all the grit and grind. We we good. Right, we can let's let's open this up a little bit. Yeah, buddy, yeah, uh, yeah. I feel you. Um like we talked about in the other in the previous mailbag with like it Depends of three seconds, like I I can't get to removing it altogether. Like moving it from defensive three seconds to defensive five seconds, I feel like would be a fun thing to experiment with. Like maybe let's see that in the G League and see what that looks like. And then go from there. Only other thing really would just be kind of like the point of emphasis heading into the beginning of last season. So where it's like we're gonna let more physicality go in general. Like maybe not full blown hand checking, but if you do let these guys kind of battle a little bit, like I think we'll see enough of a dip without ruining scoring in general. Like I think there is more of a balance to be had. Particularly with some of the work off the ball. Like let these guys deny, let them fight. Like freedom of movement. Yeah, I think it's a very good concept. Not like overall, like I think the league has done a good job of opening things up. Like I do think there's a little bit of balance to push it the other way. And so we get some more of those defensive battles with again, without turning it back into the early 2000s. Like, we can find the balance within, like, you know, 2015 to 17, like, in that range. Like, I think you can find that sweet nirvana. And when you have that plus the scheme versatility that we've seen as the league has continued to progress and stuff, like, I think we'll have the right mix of these offenses are insane, the players are more skilled, they shoot from further out, et cetera, et cetera, while defenses get to experiment more, hanging the paint, a little bit more, get the fight a little bit more, we see more of a balance there. So I think that's kind of where I go. The goaltending, like, I don't know how much that moves the needle for me. Um, I don't think it would be that difficult to implement. Like, I don't think that would be a confusion portion. Um, <clears throat> But I don't really... Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I... I don't know how much the goaltending rules move the needle in terms of, like, stopping offense. Uh, I think the bigger issue is like how easy it is for guys to get to their spots. Now, I think it's like the general complaint, the ease in which they're able to get to pull or they are they able to drive now? Cause the game's more spaced out. So I don't, I don't know if that alleviates that problem that much. <clears throat> uh, next question is going to come from Jay. We actually got a, uh, excuse me, come from Joe. So I so almost <laughs> skipped the question. Uh, Steve's talked the tweet before about how you don't have the defensive capital to take away everything on defense. You have to be willing to give certain things up. But what exactly do you do when your game plan doesn't get the results you're looking for, even if the process is still working? For example, you game plan to help off low percentage shooters, yet they start taking and making those threes regardless. I think most fans always demand for coaches to make adjustments, especially in the playoffs. But I think there's a strong argument for sticking to the game plan and hoping numbers regress back to the averages, too. Interested to hear your thoughts on how you approach defensive adjustments, especially Steve, given his experience in the league and in playoff series before.
0: Well, it's a tough pill to swallow. I'll put it that way. Uh, but you I mean, inevitably, when you are involving defense or dealing with defense, you got to pick one and try and deal with it to the best of your abilities. It's not as tough as when the game plan works, but you just don't score and you lose. And it's like, <laughs> ah, this is great. I feel great about this. Um, depending on which type of poison you chose and what the stakes are, if it's time to make an adjustment, you try and make the adjustment to see if you can save it. Okay, maybe single coverage on this person wasn't the right concept. I mean, maybe it was the right deal, but he's cooking right now. We need to double get the ball out of his hands. Or maybe giving up pull-ups was a good idea, but we need to be more aggressive. You know, the game's tight. We got to turn things up of that nature. So you get that. The tricky part about adjustments, especially when you're trying to do them on the fly, is generally when you make that flip, A, you need your guys to be able to execute it. B, you are signaling something to the offense and potentially opening other things up. So sometimes, yeah, you can fix it, but sometimes you get that dual-edged sword of not being able to stop thing A. And now this team is using thing A to open up B, C, and D. And we are. <laughs> cooked. Um, so sometimes, you know, you you tell a team, hey, beat us this way. And they do it. And you just gotta deal with it. You gotta eat it. Um readjust, weigh the pros, weigh the cons. If the process was truly good and they just hit shots or they just kept making the plays you were giving them, you know, you got to chalk it up, add them on the butt, say good job. If it's a playoff series, that's where it gets interesting because now you got to figure out, okay, do we want to switch this up? We have this in our back pocket. We could try this. The thing is, in a series, once you make that switch, it's hard to go back because they've already seen everything you can do. So now they're prepared. Do we want to make them try and do that again over and over? Um, You know, I think the Bucks are a good example. Like We're going to take our lumps, but we're not going to change what we do. It's just it, every coach has a different stomach. Every team has a different stomach when it comes to that.
2: I'm glad you mentioned the Bucks because this very much felt like a Mike Budenholzer <laughs> question. And it immediately took me back to, Uh, 2018-19 and 2019-20 with Milwaukee in the drop. And while they ended up winning the title in 2021 and they did experiment during the regular season, we talked about that throughout the podcast season, things like that. They still won with drop as their base. They had more counters, but like they still didn't really, they didn't completely bend who they were. And so just zooming out with this question, I'm generally pro do what you do if it makes sense. And, like, if the non-shooter that you're helping off, of, like, if we're going to stick with Milwaukee, let's go to the game seven against Boston last postseason. They very much chose, like, hey, Al Horford, you are getting above the break threes. Grant Williams, you are getting threes. If you make enough and if you are comfortable enough to take enough and we lose, we are tipping our caps. And Boston was able to do that. And so, like, I don't think Milwaukee did anything wrong there. Boston made the plays or made the shots necessary to win. And so I think as long as your scheme is sound, like, I'm fine with you sticking with who you are. I don't think you bend that much. Like, I think you can tweak things. There are things in the margins. Like, you talked a little bit earlier about Brooke. And if a team's making shots, like, I think back to their earlier matchup against New York to where Jalen Brunson, what that was a, what, 41-point game for Jalen Brunson? Then Milwaukee ended up winning anyway? But it's like, okay, maybe we have Brooke take a step up. But I don't think they went to, okay, Brooke, we're placing you somewhere else so we can get someone else into action because we don't want you to be attacked at all. Like, it never got there. It's, okay, let's do a little bit more within the margins. I think there's room to make those kind of tweaks. But as far as just full-blown, we're throwing this part of the game plan away. We have to do something else. Like, I am not someone that is super for that, especially if the strategy is already sound. I do think, you know, to Steve's point, as someone that's just been in the room, like it's going to be a little bit different in the playoffs. I think you have to really consider like, okay, it doesn't matter if this would only happen one out of 10 times. If that one time is the game seven (laughs) at that point, you're just kind of cool. But like, I guess fundamentally, like I'm not really big on like, let's just full scale change everything.
0: But then you also have the events and something you said triggered it back to me where your game plan is to take away these people and it's the other people that hurt you. We see it every playoff series. Salute to you, Reggie Jackson, for torturing me. But, yeah, we're going to make this team, these people beat us, we're going to take away these guys. Well, now those guys are beating you, what do you do? <laughs> like, I, well, didn't shoot. I didn't have that as part of the equation, you know, because you, you can only game plan for so much. So, you know, if, if we're trying to take away these two, and these two start kicking our tail, and now it's a lineup where we got to deal with all of them, we're in a bind. So it's it's one of those things. It's, it's pretty fluid, but, you know, you got to try and figure it out.
2: Ultimately, uh sounds like NBA defense and game planning is difficult is, uh, is what I gather from that. Uh, speaking of which, we have a three pack of questions from Jay. <clears throat> the first one. I have seen a copy of a couple of NBA scouting reports, I'm jealous, and they are mostly about offensive attributes of the opponent. And I know scouting reports gets more detailed in the postseason. However, I am curious to know to what extent do NBA teams focus on defensive attributes on their scouting reports? For example, do they say this player who usually guards the main ball handler likes to reach with his right hand? In general, what defensive attributes are paid attention to when scouting opponents' defense? Uh, I guess we'll cap it there. Um, uh, Steve, as someone's been in the room, like how I guess how deep do the defensive scouting ports get? I love that you said as someone who's
0: been in the room, but then you said I'm jealous, like I couldn't just send you one. I, I mean,
2: that'd be cool. Like I I'll take it.
0: <laughs> no, no, I'm not doing it because I'm petty. Oh um, <laughs> the heck? I'm jealous. Hey man, um, not all scouting reports created equally, by the way. But anyways, uh, you really want to tell your guys not to do something, unless it's something that's super obvious um, that is definitely going to hurt us. Like, you know, quick shots. If it's a team that likes to run, you probably want to say, hey, let's not do that. Or like you meant, uh, and, you know, an elite rim protector. Let's be smart about our drives. But you need your guys to perform, so you need them to have that belief. So I would say you're not telling your guys to avoid certain offensive moves. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, when it comes to scouting, game planning, part of the process is how do we score on them? So, yeah, you're going to point out some actions or personnel you can put in places to get success. You know what their team tendency is if you do it the right way. You know what they're trying to do defensively, what they struggle with defensively, what leads to them having success on defense. You know, things like if we play slow, we play right into their hands. If we move the ball, we can hurt them, that type of deal. Those were always the most important things to me. What are their coverages? What are their holes? How can we attack? How can they hurt us with their defense and their plan, what they want to do when it came to individual personnel, individual players, I wanted to keep it tendency based as much as I could, but I, as revealed earlier was a complete sicko. (laughs) So, you know, I could get deep in the weeds. Now you gotta be careful. You don't want to say one specific thing, you know, you say, Hey, you put on the scouting report, hey, this guy likes to force people left, but really that was just like the two or three games that you watch, and they were trying to do a specific game plan that they don't actually do. Now they don't do that in the game against you, and no one's reading your scouting reports anymore. <laughs> um, so you want to give details, uh, but are they going to apply? Are they going to help? Like, what, what is this? What is, what is he good at defensively? Are they active? Are they pressuring the ball? Are they physical? Where do they struggle? Is it isolation? Is it closeouts? Can we get them with quick attacks? What do they look like off ball? You know, are they active? Are they baiting? And then what about, what about someone that someone may consider a bad defender? What do they do? Well, how could they hurt us? Is it quick hands? Is it reaching on drives? Is it tapping the ball back if they're behind and pick and roll? Um, So it's just, for me, it was like little things that they try. Whatever I saw the most on film is probably what I put down. Mm -hmm. Just as potentially like a guide or something like that.
2: Like that, like one, that was a really good question. And two, that was a really good answer. Like when I saw the question, I was like, you know what? I'm glad I'm not the only person that thinks about stuff like this. Cause I think back to like <clears throat> very early on in the, like my basketball news career, um, writing and doing like the, the scouting report pieces for like the final series and stuff. And, like, pulling stuff like, okay, like, Jason Tatum wants to go. Like, he drives left on X percentage of his plays or whatever, whatever. I always wondered, like, <clears throat> do you ever get, I guess, what is too deep in the weeds for a defensive scouting board? <clears throat> and Like, this primary defender, he slides better to his left than to his right. Like, th- do they ever go that deep into it?
0: <clears throat> no, that's too deep.
2: That's too deep. Okay.
0: It's too deep because there's no telling what they're going to do against you. mm mm-hmm. So, yeah, I might have the data that says, hey, they do this, but is that going to matter if, A, we're not running that, or B, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, go go cook. This is what they generally try to do, what they're generally good at, what they're generally bad at. Uh, See if this helps you more than, you know, 70% of the time, if he's on the left side of the court, he's going to fight over a screen or something like that. Like, I'll tell you if if they're good at fighting over screens or if they die on screens, but I'm not going to get too deep and granular with it. Mm.
2: The other part is, like, I guess this is more so just a question for you. Like, obviously, your scouting reports alter for teams that you're facing. But, like, in terms of, I guess for defensive game plans, were you just giving those to, were you preparing those for the team, period, or were you preparing those for, like, okay, these are our top defenders. This is what you need to know against these players. Like, how specific were the game plans in that regard?
0: for the players or for the coaches?
2: Uh, for the players.
0: For the players, I mean, they got you know, every person on their team. And then, you know, depending on the team, you might have some notes on what they're doing and mm-hmm. what we're trying to do. Philosophy wise, you try and keep it as simple as you can so no. that they're not processing too much. Cause again, there's 82 games, but they always get the personnel stuff and they always okay. get this is what this team is trying to do, type of deal. Now, it's a lot, it's a lot deeper for the coaches. You know, these are their coverages. This is this. This is what they're trying to do. All that good stuff. But usually, that that gets broken down and regurgitated to them verbally more than on the actual scouting report.
2: Okay. Ah, we have <laughs> learned things in the mailbag. You love to see it. Um, second question from Jay. <clears throat> Defensive metrics are very complicated and controversial. They usually favor bigs or could heavily be against certain players if the coach's defensive system and scheme is played differently. I think Brad Stevens once said he will ignore any email and conversation that has defensive defensive metrics in them. How do you guys feel about defensive metrics and analytics? Do you think defensive performances can ever be summarized with a series of numbers? Will there ever be a metric like true shooting that can showcase the defensive talent of players? Or do you think, due to the switching nature of defense in modern NBA, defense is something that would be best evaluated with the eye test?
0: I mean, I still lean eye test. I think numbers can give you context. I think numbers can help you understand maybe what you're seeing sometimes. But I just think there's too many variables to really take it as a whole, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. at least for me. So, yeah, you might be thinking, okay, you know, it'll help to know – what they're doing possession-wise, how good they are in isolation, screens, that kind of stuff. But your eyes are going to tell you more than anything else because those numbers might be because of who they were guarding, who they played recently, anything like that. There's just too much for me to think about to not do the work.
2: I got you. For me, like, I love the concept of defensive, like, the defensive analytics. I personally don't... I have a very small like amount of numbers that I look at for the defensive side. Like for me, it's very much play type stuff, like pick and roll stuff, handoff stuff, post up stuff, like that kind of tracking stuff. And then from there, it's on off and trying to contextualize, okay, why are these, how does the defense, you know, for defense in particular, um, like, okay, how many points per possession better is this team with this player on the court and off? And if it's a big swing in either way, it's like, okay, who are they paired with? Like, how does that factor into that specific number? Like, is this really good defender with a like a relatively low or a slightly negative on off? Is it because he's paired with a bad defender? If so, what do those numbers look like when that bad defender's off the court? Does that give like a more accurate representation of what they're doing on the defensive end of the ball? And like, even all of that comes back to you know that ability to contextualize those things comes back to okay, what am I seeing on the defensive end? And so for me, like, one basketball itself. You need to watch. You have to watch to understand what's happening on the floor and get a general understanding and have the numbers contextualize that. But like the defensive side, it's even more important to understand like what's happening. Because like you may see insert bad defender here. Is ranked highly or, you know, rate really well top five in terms of like points allowed in isolations. It's like, okay, why is that happening? Are bad offensive players isolating against this person? Or are they defending a bunch of really good players because teams are hunting them and they're getting a whole bunch of help on the back end? And because of that, like, the options are limited. And then now that player's kicking it to a mid-shooter and they're missing. And so on the possession overall, it looks like you're not allowing the points when you're involved. But really, the entire defense is geared to help them. Like, how do you factor that stuff in? So, like, I'm with you, Steve. Like, it's still very much, you got to watch. And, like, there are some numbers that help. And there, there are, again, there are some very specific, like, play type type stuff. That I enjoy looking at and that helps. Um, but it's still watching. I do, th- I don't know if you can ever get to the point that it's as clean as it is on the offensive side of the ball. Cause I think so many things change from a scheme perspective. Like one, you just have to understand what a team is trying to accomplish defensively. And if you don't have that, then like any of the numbers, good or bad is going to be kind of off for you in terms of the context. And you're not going to understand like the reasoning behind why the defensive player is doing what they're doing. And so with so many teams, one, just kind of toggling between schemes and two, doing that within a possession sometimes, like that just kind of complicates what those numbers are. And like, even with some of the tracking stuff, like you will see something labeled one way, but it's really a different coverage that's mostly the same, but different at the end. And now you just got to figure out, OK, which one am I labeling this at? Type B. And so like you're then relying on how good those filters are. We're getting very deep in the weeds, but like it it's going to be the eye test is going to reign supreme on defense more than anything. I think real hoop. (laughs) (laughs) You got it. The last question from Jay, Uh, why do some teams run tons of zone defense and some other teams almost never run zone? Is it just coach preference for zone defense or do some players or are some players just better in zone?
0: I mean, they're probably might just be better in zone than they are in man. Uh, but I'd probably say it's generally coach preference, uh, your personnel defensively, the flow of the game. There are some coaches that swear by it. Uh, some can't stand it and some are you know picking it single, signal something to the other team. Some know it's needed, but only use it in certain scenarios to try and slow a team down. There's just different philosophies on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it might be because, A, you're telling them your defense is struggling as opposed to using it as, hey, we want to do this. There's only so many teams where it's like, hey, this is part of our our blend. This is part of our attack. Mm-hmm. For the most part, it's a y'all are cooking. Slow it down for a second. Um, but again, if your team isn't locked in to communication and rotating and man-to-man, there's no guarantee that's going to get better in zone. Mm-hmm. So you need your man-to-man to be solid. You need your principles to be there. And if they're not, you're going to be in trouble anyways. Um, because zone has its openings, um, and zone has these things that can be exposed. So I, that, for me, I think it's just mostly how does the coach feel about it? What's the scenario that they're it in?
2: Well, you uh, pretty much stole my answer. Like, I think it's <laughs> kind of boiled down to what coaches want to do and how much trust they have with the players on the roster. Like, I also think uh, now this is something that I kind of want to cross-reference. I may have to bring this back to the pod on the next episode. Like, I do wonder, like, for the teams that run zone a lot, like how much of that, like does that trend to younger rosters or older rosters? Like I wonder how much that <clears throat> factors in. And then with the coaches themselves that run it, like are these longer tenured coaches or are these like the newer coaches that just got these jobs or are more willing to, like what is the willingness to experiment? Because on one hand, it's like, hey, younger train of thought, more willing to do different things, modernize things, whatever, whatever, or it could be. Well, hey, I just got here. I need to simplify this as much as I can. I'm not trying to rock the boat and do anything weird that puts the target on my back, or whatever, whatever. So I'm gonna look deeper into that. But I do think it kind of leans into coach preference and how they feel about zone. Um, next question gonna come from Andreas. In the modern NBA, how much vo- how much more valuable is it for a player to become great at ISO defense versus just being competent at it? ISO is just an inefficient play type in general. Above average ISO efficiency is still bad offense overall. And running more ISO is generally just doing the defense a favor. As long as the defense isn't so bad at it that ISO actually becomes good offense, they will probably be fine. Then you can add in how easily offenses are able to get switches to attack their preferred matchup one-on-one, especially in the playoffs. Uh, Putting all that together, it seems like being a great ISO defender is not as important as just not being a weak link. Would you agree or am I missing something? Well,
0: I'd say... um I put a little bit more respect on ISO's name, but I get the concept, but bucket getting is important and it happens. You do have to be able to play one-on-one defense, especially come playoff time. Uh, To me, to answer your question, I think it depends on the player. Um, For some, you need to just exit the liability zone and be solid enough to stay on the floor. Like for me, when I saw this question, I thought of Tyler Hero. If he could just advance to, I keep the ball in front and I contest. That's a huge leap for him. Other guys, you got to be really good in one-on-one defense to keep your minutes on the floor. (laughs) So it's not so much, hey, I can just be like, no, that's the thing that you do. That's why you're out there. And I think one-on-one defense does have more value in the playoffs. I do think it is interesting with the amount that teams are switching, what that does. But you need those guys who can defend those guys when the time comes. So I still think it's important to have someone who can pressure the ball, keep the ball in front, uh, contest, and all of that. I don't know if you can just bring yourself to the table as only
2: a lockdown defender these days, mm-hmm.
0: but it's it still has its, its weight.
2: Yeah. That's, <clears throat> like, on a very basic level, like, if you can be great, be great, because duh. Um, but as far as like conceptually, like I do think it depends on the player role. Um <clears throat> depending on your offensive importance, like depending on what your offensive important is, I think the threshold is a little bit lower overall. Like <clears throat> we need you on the court, so we just don't need you to be so bad that we bleed points when you on the other end. So to Steve's point, like getting out of the liability zone that's going to be important for Tyler Hero. That's very much going to be important for Trey Young. And that's why, you know, as we talked about it throughout that playoff run when the Hawks made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, both of us kind of noted, like, hey, like, Trey still ain't great, but, like, Trey's generally where he needs to be off the ball. And because of that and because of how he was competing at the point of attack, again, still not very good, not a good screen navigator, the size is the issue, whatever. But because he reached a level of competency off the ball and fought defensively, the Hawks weren't dying with him on the court defensively. And because of that, they were over, able to hold firm. And then what he was doing on the other end, obviously helped lead them to that Easter conference finals perk. And so depending on your importance there and just your role in general, like that threshold is there Um, in terms of importance. um, I'm, I'm also glad we saw this question because I forgot to note that at the top, uh, we we're talking about like trends and stuff Um, in terms of ISO defense overall, like the points per life, points per possession allowed in ISO, like that's risen this year. Like being speaks to how great the offense is and the rate of te- ping, uh the rate of teams, double teaming on isolations has also risen. And so that kind of speaks to a little bit of the switch and double portion of it also goes into, okay, if we do have a weak league on the four, we really have to send some extra attention here because otherwise that's going to kick off an entirely different uh, chain that we don't really want to deal with. And so to that point, like <clears throat> On one hand, it feels like the threshold is a little bit lower for those stars. Um, on the other end, like because teams are so good at attacking weak links, you you really can't afford to be like competent almost isn't enough sometimes. Because even competent, you get attacked. Like We talked about this with Boston, where it's like, okay, who do we go after? And During the last postseason, in the East Conference Finals in particular, it was Derrick White. It was, Derek, it was a lot of Derrick White, it was a lot of Grant Williams, and like derrick white in particular is is an elite defender but it's just like okay like there's going to be something to poke at it's size for derrick white it's going to be quickness for some of the matchups against grant williams there's going to be something so like if they can get attacked consistently in a matchup held their own because they're good but if they can get attacked even competency may not be enough and you still have to send a bunch of extra attention so like (laughs) it it varies but like to steve's point like I are tough. Like the league, the game is more spread out, players are more skilled. It's just it's really tough to play really good defense, especially as you get deeper in the playoff series. Uh, next question is going to come from Jonah. Um, we're getting to the team basic, uh section of the mailbag now. How do you two feel about the Wolves running more hedging and at the level with Nas Reed and Cat, but then going to a drop with Rudy Gobert? Obviously, the Rudy drop has been solid without Cat on the floor, just simplifying things for everyone and Jaden playing fun point of attack defense. The other side is d and Ant off the ball defense is questionable. And at times when they are in different coverages, it seems players aren't always aware where to be. Do you think there is any more to fix to this than just, hey, do better off ball and know your schematics? Or is it just a big overhanging question of the Rudy Cat fit? Also knows that he's been loving the watch party. So thank you for joining us, Jonah.
0: I mean, it's a combination of both, unfortunately. Like I mentioned earlier, but it's one of the biggest questions I've had as the season was progressing. They just have to get better at it. Like I get it that A, was their their base scheme, and B, it's what those two bigs are probably going to be better at than drop. So you don't want to be in a scenario where now you're – Doing drop for Rudy, but you're also doing drop for those two. You might get more consistency, but they're not as good. They don't bring the same things to the table. Uh, But you don't necessarily have the consistency you want defensively to be able to toggle between those schemes. So, And and the tough part with two on the ball is it has its openings. And you're going to be in rotation. So if you're struggling with rotation after being in a drop where you're kind of not supposed to rotate, but you're still kind of still in rotation. (laughs) The key part for me is just finding ways for them to be more solid and stay out of rotation. If I had to pick one exact thing, they have to figure it out. It's an overhanging question because their two bigs are good at two different schemes. Mm -hmm. So how do you build around that? How do you protect yourself around that? It could be interesting because they can throw a mix at teams where, hey, we got two on the ball. We got drop. How do you handle this? You got to deal with both of them. But then you also have Cat as a weak side defender if Rudy's in the drop. And, you know, you have Rudy as a weak side defender if Cat's at the level. So how do you toggle that when they're together, let alone the struggles you have when they're separated? And you throw in dribble penetration, you throw in teams throwing guard, guard action and just leaving Rudy, you know, sitting on space. How do you handle all of that? So I think if they can get back to basics, keep everything in front, be more solid, they'll be fine. Um, but they just got to get better.
2: Yeah. Uh, for me, like, it is a combination, but I lean more towards, like, they just got to get better. Because, like, I, like, we've talked about this before. Like, I just think, like, Cat in the Drop is just untenable for me. Like, I think we'd have a multi-year sample of he's not very good at it. And I think if you are going with these two bigs long term, again, a year, two years from now, like maybe Rudy is traded again. Maybe they trade Cat. like Maybe that changes. But as long as these two are together, like I think the best setup is Cat in this coverage and Rudy in this coverage. And that's just going to boil down to one, the team builders figuring out, OK, can we get enough screen navigators and smart off all defenders on the roster to make this work long term? And those bigs have to be better. If Rudy is spaced and not directly engaged in a drop, he has to be better navigating space. If Cat is the weak side defender, he has to get better at that. Like he's going to, if he's going to be at the four, he's going to get better, have to get better in space period. But I I feel like this is kind of the, the reality of the situation when they're healthy. Like, I think it's going to take that system. I mean, the merging of systems and kind of mixing and matching from there. They just have to get better at it. I think. And from there, we'll go to a question from Nolan. Hey, y'all. Big fan of the pod. Thank you. And the general way that you guys talk about NC basketball. Uh, my question is about the Blazers' defense. Is it possible to build a top 10 or top 15 defense around uh, Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons? I was really happy the Blazers got a tall, athletic man who could play offense and defense in the offseason for the first time in Dane's career, referring to Jamie Grant. If we had another one of those guys in the Josh Hart spot, could we get there? What is the ideal defensive scheme to put around the two guards? And if Nurkic is not the best fit, what kind of center gives the Blazers the best chance of getting to above league average on defense?
0: Well, I mean, they're up to number 17. Last I checked coming in tonight's game, which is up from 25 uh, last year. So they're headed in the right direction. I think having the Grants, the Harts, the Winslows, the Gary Paytons, those type of guys gives your lineups balance. It allows your team defense to be stronger. Those guys can carry a lot of the weight um, and keep it off of maybe your two guards. I do think the key is, A, you need versatility in your lineup. You need versatility in your scheme, which I think Portland has moved towards. And you need a big that's going to be able to do multiple things, not just protect at the rim, which could help. I mean, if they were able to funnel and have a rim protector, that would make things easier, but you still have to navigate screens. I just think you need a big who can give you that rim protection, who could give you a late switch, who can give you some, you know, different looks. And this isn't a shot for me. I think what he's been asked to do, he's been working his tail off. But when you have those two in the backcourt, you're going to have to have that kind of base around it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I think Damon and Anfrey Simons have done their job this year. Uh, I think they've been asked to do their job. They played with activity, they played with effort. Um, You just got to be as rock solid as you can be in pick and roll when you have size like
2: that. Hmm. It's funny that we've gotten right back to the Portland question on defense. Um we
1: <laughs> You know, go
2: French again. Uh, we we were literally asked the question. You just answered. I don't know what to tell you. But uh no, to bounce off of Steve's point, like like Dame has fought defensively. This is much better defense than we saw from him last year, or really the last few years for Dame. Anthony Simons has also perked up the effort. So like I haven't had really any issue deals for them. I haven't really had an issue deal with Nurk either. I think Nurk's just limited. And what really what you hit on that really stuck for me was like you have to have a big deck and do multiple things. And that led me to... A, I have a free throw adjacent question for you, Steve. How much better would the Blazers' defense be if they had Zubac instead of mm, Uh
0: It'd be an upgraded version of this,
2: I guess. Yeah, like, yeah, like I feel like, like... I don't think Zubac is a, an elite defender. But like... And I don't think he's an elite switch defender, but like he's fine enough to where okay, we can we can late switch without cringing. And then in the drop, like again, not an elite run protector, but he's solid. He's more solid than zuba I mean, more solid than Nerk. And like for the question threshold, is like can we get to the top fifteen? Like they're seventeen now. If they had Zubac instead of Nerk. Like I think they're like thirteenth in defense this year. Which, again, doesn't put them in the elite class, but, like, that gives you even more of a margin for error, which is funny. Like, the defense, you noted <clears throat> 17th, they're 13th in offense, and the offense kind of sliding a bit, which is funny. Like, I, I've liked the off-ball usage for Dane and what that's meant for him, and they've, they've cooked with him on the court. But, like, overall, there's been, like, a little bit of clunkiness, too, especially as of over the last, like, month. And so we'll see if the offense perks back up, too. But, again, that's for the offense stuff. Um but yeah, like I, I do come back to center for this team. The center being able to do multiple things, like I think that's where Nurt gets into trouble because I do think like he's fine in a drop, but if they need him to do anything else, like it's just not at the level. And though they have added size, and I'm glad you he pointed out to Josh Hart thing because like Josh Hart has competed and he really helps with the rebounding despite being like undersized for the wing spot. Um. <clears throat> Because Nurk is limited, they need to play small more, and when they have to go small, then they're super small. Because like now, <clears throat> like I would imagine, you're going to see some Dame Simons and Gary Payton in the second lineups at some point, if you want to get your best defense on the floor. Like We've seen Justice at the 5 this year, and it looked good, but it just kind of sparks to, man, Justice at the 5 is like six four, six five. And so like even when they go small, they're so small that even if they're in the right spots, they, they can still be finished over. And stuff and like they don't have an elite defender on the roster Jeremy Grant is an upgrade and especially an upgrade in the size department but like he's a good defender he's not a great one and so like i do think there is a general need for more size period like i don't think we're going to see anything change on the dame simon's backcourt because they're so electric offensively like dame is still a really good player simon's has taken another step offensively so i don't think they break that up unless some really good offer comes out of nowhere and they're able to upgrade on that front. So I think for Portland to get to where they want to get, like I think it's going to take a NERC upgrade. Like I think that's just where it goes. Because um, like it's easy to say they need more size on the wings. Every team in the NBA is looking for size in the wing, on the wings. And so I think it'll be easier to acquire a big they feel good about, even if they want to close small. And I think they'll have an easier job doing that than like finding the requisite wings to make that work. Um, so that is where I go on. Portland side, uh, we go to David and Parker, who both had questions about Houston and what they're trying to accomplish on defense. Um, <clears throat> this one's more so going to come from David. Houston seems to suffer from two key issues defensively: overhelping and the players on the wing opting to crash the grass rather than get back defensively. And I guess that bleeds into the transition defense. Uh, my question is: when you watch this team play, do both shortcomings appear to be system related or player effort related? If system related, what can be done to tweak this into less of a glaring weakness?
0: Uh, for me it's youth related they're just they're young guys trying to play defense and they don't necessarily have the built-in counters or the understanding of defending with each other defending multiple actions sustaining defense at this point so you'll see the effort it's not like they're out there just not trying but you know when the offense isn't going you see a dip defensively and vice versa um for for me, you just want to see the activity, you want to see the communication, you want to see them try and figure things out and build and get better. Um, but if you're giving things up in transition, you're not connected as a team defensively, it's just going to lead to a variety of problems to where you can't even get to the system or the scheme part yet because you're just trying to build your base and not ball watch and not overhelp and not get beat off a screen and just the little things. So mm-hmm. I would say it, it's youth for me.
2: I think for me, gosh, last thing we need is more Houston commentary <laughs> after the pass counter. But uh, I think the answer is just kind of yes on what's plaguing Houston right now. Eventually, like the transition point is a good one, and it bleeds into again the offense we talked about down the last pod. But like, it just feels like a team that doesn't play for each other, and then that frustration just bleeds through. And you'll see some slumped shoulders. You will see the. The hand is kind of like, what are they doing when someone else takes a bad shot instead of like running back getting on defense? Or it's like a head down because they're annoyed before really focusing in on who they're trying to get attached to in transition defense. And then that's a whole thing. Um, so, to the crashing part, I think it's less crashing the glass and more so like kind of apathy about the break. And like they're not attacked, they're not getting picked up early enough there. Um, <clears throat> as far as the over helping portion, it is youth, but like, with their three, I guess, most important young players right now, if we call Jalen Green, Shen Goon, and um, Kevin Porter Jr. the three most important players, they're all flawed defensively. And so with Shengoon in particular, like I think his best coverage is going to be at the level. They've had him in the drop more than anything this year. He's not good in the drop, and the level of connectivity it takes defensively to p- consistently play him at the level just isn't there. Uh, not with the starting unit anyway. And so I think because he's been in a drop, it just kind of highlights what everyone's bad at. Shingun can't really protect the rim and doesn't really have the depth perception in the drop yet. KBJ is improved, but he's still not a good screen navigator. And Jalen very much is not a good screen navigator. And so you put all that together, then yeah, you're going to have Jabari like, okay, who is actually a good young defender. Yeah, Jabari's like, well, crap, let me peel in earlier than expected because I think this might go wrong. I need to provide a little dig here because this guy is caught up on the screen. Nah, got trust teammates. You do. But, <laughs> but like, I, I feel like that's a lot of what's going on. Like, I think there isn't real synergy with their base.
0: Well, here's the thing. If, if, if you're already thinking that way, when you're in a drop, what do you think it's going to look like if they're at the level?
2: Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> so no that's
0: possible. the, that's the poison that they've chosen is, Hey, okay. At, at the very least we're giving this shot up. Unfortunately, they just haven't been able to navigate the screens properly. Mm-hmm. And they give up too much space, but again, I think it's just—I think it's youth. They—they defend like a young team.
2: <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> All right, we have two more questions to close this thing out. One team-based, one not. Well, I guess they're both team-based in a way. Uh, so this is going to come from RR. Hey guys, the maps have slipped to being a mid twenties uh mid twenties defensive rating team after being top 10 last year. Why do you think that is? Because outside of Christian Wood, the personnel is mostly the same.
0: Uh, The big personnel. I think it started with the JaVale McGee deal. That's no disrespect to JaVale McGee. It's more, I've never loved Dallas in a drop and his best coverage is in a drop. Dallas needs to be active defensively. They need versatility defensively. And I think once they kind of turn that down a little bit, it made things interesting. I think not having a scheme for Christian Wood makes it tough. I think only be able to find certain pockets to play a Powell and a Maxi Cleaver and Dave Burt and the injuries that they've suffered. They haven't necessarily had the same base. For better or worse last year, they had what they had. This is what we do. We go. This year, they're trying to figure out, they're toggling through things. Uh, Christian Wood might be in a drop, might be a switch. So they're not as connected in that sense. And so I think that's probably the combination for me the lack of activity and then them not necessarily having that same force defensively.
2: Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> not going to add too much there. Like I think the injuries are really hurt. on top of that. Like you already mentioned, like mixing Maxie Cleaver, that hurts missing Dorian Finney Smith for a stretch. And he's been, I mean, he had a case for an offensive team last season, didn't make it, but like he was that good and that important to Dallas last year, having him miss a spell that also hurts. And when you're trying to factor Christian Wood into the occasion, when you try to factor in uh, Jalen, uh, JaVale McGee into the equation, like that obviously alters what you want to do. Um, So just echoing Steve's sentiments there. Like I think <clears throat> as they get healthier and they get more of a feel for what they want to do with Christian Wood, I think we'll see it perk up. Like I don't think this is like a 23rd ranked defense. Like I think they're going to be closer to 15, 16 um at the end of the day, Um, at least until they get Cleaver back or they make some kind of trade. But I think that pretty much explains like why they haven't been as stout as they were last year. Uh Last one going to come from Seth. What would be your guys' ideal defensive starting five?
0: Uh the Great and grind grizzlies. Was this current day players or all time? Uh current day. Current day? Indeed. Give me Marcus Smart. Give me Drew. Give me Bam. Give me Draymond. Give me Jaron Jackson Jr.
2: Ah, I see. Uh, we have a. Uh, we have been doing the podcast for much too long. Uh, my ideal five was uh Marcus Smart, Drew Holiday, OG Ananobi, uh Jaron Jackson Jr. and Bam. Um Five guys that can uh, punch above their weight, can defend bigger players, can navigate screens, can fly all over the court, and take things away. Uh, no disrespect to Draymond. Uh, but.
0: you do going to get that podcast, buddy.
2: Uh, everyone in the organization has a podcast now. It's crazy. Uh, let's get into the free throw section. Uh, do you want me to go first? It's been a minute for me. so I can.
0: Yeah, go ahead, man. Okay. Also, breaking, Tobias Harris getting helped off the court, walking oh. under his own power, but he was holding his knee.
2: Oh so hopefully no! Hopefully he's all right. Oh
0: no! I'm walking by day. himself now. All right. Okay. Well,
2: there you go. Uh, I guess while we're here, there was a tweet I saw during the podcast: uh, Jalen Brown abductor strain. Think is going to be reevaluated in two weeks, or it might miss a week or two, per Joe Musula. So we'll uh, we'll see what that looks like for Boston. Uh, hope, all right.
0: Hope, hopefully it's maintenance and everyone's good. Please turn injuries off. Yeah. Go ahead with your free throws. Your first yeah. of twenty twenty three.
2: My first. Okay. I don't know. If that's the, all right. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> if you were coaching a young team, would you rather have an issue with overhelping or apathy off the ball? Overhelping. Okay.
0: Easy. We can we can we can fix that. Okay. If y'all just not trying, we could.
2: Okay. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Um, if you needed one player in the league today to anchor a defense in a game seven, who would it be? Give me Bam. Ah, an upset pick. I just knew you were going to pick Draymond. Ah, huh, I'm in All right. Uh, better screen navigator, Mikael Bridges or Derek White? Mikael. Okay. Uh, Patrick Williams or Kyle Kuzma defensively.
0: give me give me mm, give me Pat
2: alright um, who's been better on defense this year Draymond Green or Jimmy Butler ooh that's tough
0: uh, ooh Jimmy okay. Draymond. Draymond Draymond
2: you don't sound you don't sound please
0: <laughs> I don't like that question <laughs>
2: All right. Uh, Christoph Porzingis or Wendell Carter Jr. defensively this year? Give me Porzingis. Okie dokie. Who's the worst player that you would take over Rudy Gobert defensively this year? The worst player I would take over Rudy Gobert
0: defensively? Yes. What does that even mean? Who's worse?
2: Define worse. If you you feel like... If you feel like Rudy Gobert is like an 84 overall on defense, like who's the 85 you would take over him, baby? Wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I have asked the version of this question like 20 what? times throughout this podcast.
0: <laughs> Wait, but this one's throwing me for a loop. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. it's Mason Plumlee?
2: Mason Plumlee? Thomas Bryant? I don't know, man. You feel like Mason Plumlee's been better defensively than Rudy this year? Nope. Didn't say that. That's what I'm asking. Worst yeah, so player that you I think of who would I take? You said worst. who's the worst you said, player you who would I take? Okay, you know what?
0: Ha ha King. Ha ha.
2: The question <laughs> is literally, <laughs> who's the worst player you would take over Rudy Gobert defensively this year? That is that was the literal question. Yeah, I'd rather I'd miss. Uh, okay. All I right. know what he can do. Good guy. Uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Again I asked, uh Jaden McDaniels or Jason Tatum on defense this year? Tatum. <sighs> We're gonna get we're gonna get Jaden some love from you at some point this year. Uh, who would be your all defensive third team center this year? Joel Embiid. Okay. Nick Claxton slandered once again. It's fine. Uh, uh, he's on my second team. Uh, that's fine. Oh. <laughs> you had him on. I, I, we're gonna talk about you having him on your second team, but not having him as like in your depoy race. Uh. <laughs> Whose defense do you trust more moving forward, New Orleans or Brooklyn? Mm,
0: give me, give me New Orleans because KD's out.
2: Mm, okay. Clint Capella is the blank most valuable defender in the league. Twenty. Okay.
0: Twenty-five. Okay. Uh, thirty. Yeah, oh, total defenders? Yeah,
2: 25-30. Okay. So some uh, some Clint disrespect. It's all right, though. Yeah, all right, yeah, I, I yeah. That concludes my uh, my free throws. They didn't look too good when he was there. Hey man. <laughs> hey. They're flirting around the top 10 defense when he was there. I don't know, man. Mm-hmm. That offense was lucky they they did they were doing the thing with Clint on the floor. All right, dog. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. It's been-
0: <laughs> you're never going to quit that, man. Well, <laughs> uh, you're going to compel it and root yourself to death. Bigger sign of impending doom. LeBron saying, I want to finish my career here, or your partner working out and buying new clothes.
2: Where did that even come from? Um, I'm just going to go with the former. <laughs>
0: okay. Uh, Chandler Parsons uh, admitting the Euro step with Memphis. Thoughts?
2: That was pretty funny. <laughs> that man said Oscar performance. I was like, "Oh no!"
0: He said, "Great and grind for life." That's wild. Um, <laughs> this is a shame because if, if if that was if it was really that Chandler Parsons, that team. anyways. Uh, what do we think of the timelines of trade talks surrounding Miles Turner and John Collins, ending with John Collins being traded to Indiana and them playing together? <laughs>
2: Feels like on brand, <laughs> painfully on brand. <laughs> and then it's going to be John being like, well, shoot, man. Why I don't get the role no more? <laughs> or it's going to be Miles Turner being like, hey, why does he get all the roles? I'm spaced again.
1: <laughs>
2: it's going to be that without any other playmaking.
0: Uh, who would ask for a trade first?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Probably Miles. Okay. More fun. John Collins in Indiana or John Collins in Utah?
2: Uh ooh, more f- oh more fun, Indiana.
0: Okay. Uh when's the last time you think Spo has uh spoken to Dwayne Debman?
2: You think Spo has spoken to Dwayne Debman?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh who's been the biggest disappointment for you this year?
2: What team? Oh, just in general? Yeah. Um, well, this feels a bit adjacent. Uh probably. Hmm. So, like, it would be Minnesota, but, like, the injuries give us a little bit of a buffer. Okay. Um, If not Minnesota, probably Houston. Okay.
0: Uh, Mike Conley or Chris Paul? Uh, Paul. Mike Conley or Trey Jones?
2: (laughs) Pull the curtain back on this one before I answer. We were hosting a watch party. And Trey Jones, I think he made a shot. I he was converted and one. And I was like top 25 point guard in the league. And Steve halted the stream right there. It was very much a jazz music stop <laughs> moment. It was like, what do you mean top 25? I was like, top twenty, Top 25. And so that turned into 15 minutes of <laughs> listing point guards that may or may not be better than Trey
0: Jones. I accepted the challenge. I got 23. And that was it. And that was a tough ride because Nakai has very specific positional, as you've heard on this pod, is very specific with positions. So I had to be really strategic. I thought I could get him. Uh, I could not. Uh, I was hoping to get to 24 before I got to the bottom of my list. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I totally pulled out a depth chart and started asking questions left and right. I respect feel it. Pri- feel proud of that. Now answer.
2: Um, I, uh, hmm. It's a good question. A really wholesome question. A question that really makes you think about your basketball philosophies. Like when you think of point guards, like you think of, uh, you think of floor generals, you think of direction, you think of leadership. Mike
0: Conley or Trey Jones?
2: <laughs> uh, I think Trey's been a little better this year.
0: Okay. Mike Conley or Reggie Jackson? Uh,
2: Mike Conley is
0: All right. the answer hey, Mike. rather firmly. Lee, Ben Simmons or Jalen Green? <laughs> oh God, uh, Ben Simmons. Killian Hayes or Josh Giddy?
2: <laughs>
0: Killian, uh, it's who is Josh Giddey? Dylan Brooks or Grayson Allen? Dylan Brooks. <laughs> Dylan Brooks or Herb Jones?
2: Uh, Dylan Brooks they don't put centers on Dylan Brooks with all due respect. Herb Jones or Scotty Barnes? Uh, Scotty Barnes.
0: Scottie Barnes or Evan Mobley?
2: <laughs>
0: it's Evan Mobley. Yeah, that's what you should have said last year. Uh, uh, are you a box score boy?
2: <laughs> uh, can't say that I'm a box score boy. Oh, okay. I'm that's amazing. That's... <laughs> Is that all you Mm -hmm. (laughs) have? Oh, tremendous content. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of The Dunker Spot. If you have not already, please subscribe to us. We are on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. You can follow me on Twitter at NikaiusNBA. You can follow Steve on Twitter at SteveJones20. Join the Dunker Spot community on Twitter if you have the capabilities. We're having some fun discussions in there. Join the Dunker Spot. Watch parties and rock with us. Uh, I will once again apologize because after apologizing on the last episode and saying that I would put the, uh, I would hyperlink the watch party in the description, I then forgot to hyperlink the uh, the watch party link into the description. So I will definitely do that this time and do so moving forward. So you can join us, watch some hoops with us or whatever we do, basketball, we watch some college football, we've watched darts, we've got into FIFA streams. It's been a, it's been a wild experience with the dunk spot watch party. If we have fun, join us, rock with us. And with that, We will catch y'all next week.
0: This man says hi, hello, and sorry, sorry. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to The Dunker Spot ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.
2: Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, Tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey.
4: Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate, not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car
1: in front of her.
4: Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate
1: not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions, rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states your rate could increase with high-risk driving, generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates in Illinois.
2: Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA
0: never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe
2: in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson,
0: for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three, and the Kardashian empire is forever altered.
2: What did you just say? Hey everybody,
0: I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As
2: former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass,
1: or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports Break down what actually happened, that explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow alternate routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus.